2: on
3: courts 96FM. 1850-715-996. The text and WhatsApp is 83 396 and the email opinion at 96FM.ie. I trust you had a safe weekend. I trust you made the best uh, of what you had and how you worked with it. It was entirely up to yourself. They had great fun. <laughs> they had great crack, great crack all together above in, in Holly Hill at the Bingo. Yeah. So that it. I <laughs> <does that> mean, just <laughs> gas crack up there. Uh, we might get to that later on. Uh, we've loads of messages have come in about it. Now, some people given out about it, but anyone who was involved saying, look, we, we did our social distancing. It was only people from their own household in their own front yard having a bit of a laugh and, and all of that. We, we, we'll get to We'll get to that. There was some other noises going on uh, in other parts of the city. This carry on. We covered actually this before on the programme, but it was going on again in various different videos going around the weekend.
4: Going back to the Dutty's to not any c- Listen, you didn't have the c- to come out and meet us up today. Hey, look. We have been uncle here 13 years of age for you. He'll fight you.
5: You're on about as well, boys, about doing this places and that places. What happened to you dirty cowly when you landed top you in the side? When the two men landed top, you, he pumped you up in it. You took off running in now out of the base. pumped your car, what do you do? Start screaming for your mothers.
3: Now, that was another session of calling out by the Carties and the Stokeses. Um, and that's about the most usable bit of it, one of the videos had a kid in it, we just removed that that's just mad but there were videos flying around there was also an incident and five men have appeared in court following this incident when Gardy had a narrow escape too their patrol car allegedly attacked by a man wielding a slash hook when they visited a traveller encampment at the weekend uh, five men then before a special sitting of Cork District Court Simon Quilligan His sons, Sammy and Shane, Martin Harty and James Sheehan all came before a special sitting of Cork District Court at Anglesey Street on Sunday following all of this. And it all, the action, such as it was, happened in Little Island. Michael Mulcahy, good morning.
6: Morning, TJ. Very disturbing stuff going on there. It certainly is. And unfortunately, uh, I think for the guards who who have plenty other things to be doing at uh, the moment, it was an incident that they could have done without. And as we understand it, they visited the the site, which is an unofficial halting site on a 16-acre waterfront site in, um, in Little Island, which last Thursday, a number of caravans uh, entered illegally and the that particular site backs onto a lot of uh, houses on Cash Road uh, with a lot of elderly residents living in there and and there's been lots of noise and lots of different things going on there over the last couple of days which is very very unsettling for the elderly and any residents there yeah
3: there's clearly a big feud going on between the Carties and the Stokeses and we've had several occasions now where video went Viral on on social media, and we've had some videos of cars arriving and departing at the weekend. And it was said these guards had a a lucky escape. I think were they saying to the guards, or is that the belief that that they now claim they can't be evicted from this site because of the COVID nineteen emergency provisions?
6: Yes, as, as as we understand it, on uh, Friday morning, the, the guards visited the site uh, following a request from a number of the, the businesses in the area who were concerned because this isn't the first uh, time that this particular site has been occupied uh, by travellers. So the guards visited them, and as we understand it, they were told that they were self-isolating and that they were uh, doing so on that site for three months under the new government guidelines where they couldn't be evicted for that three-month period because under those recent guidelines, uh, there was an additional amendment that was proposed by Sinn Féin and People Before Profit to include all traveller encampments in that new um, um, three-month non-evicting legislation. Right. So So it it applies to that site as well. Even an unofficial site, as we understand it, yes. If if, if people are self-isolating, um, they they can't be moved from that site if it's not in the public interest. However, this issue of the public interest then comes into play, and I think Judge um, Mary Dorgan yesterday um, she remanded two of the five people um, in custody to appear by video link um, in Cork District Court this Wednesday. The other uh, three were released on very strict bail conditions. So um, there's there's elements I think that will be uh, of this case that will be dealt with on, on Wednesday. But needless to say, the residents and the business community uh, in Little Island and the general district around it uh, of Pong are very very concerned at this when slash hooks are are used, um, whether they're used at Gardi or Cards, or whether it's alleged that they're used. Um, it's very concerning for people that this would be taking place in a suburb of our city. Who
3: owns the site Michael?
6: The site is owned by a developer from Carrick Tool called Seamus Ganey. He's currently in for planning for, uh, as we understand it, about 200,000 square feet of um, warehousing and offices which is a very significant development. Um, The last time that this happened um, uh, the understanding was that this site would be secured um, when the, the travelers left the site, however, that didn't happen. So again, I think if you own property and you don't secure it, then the the book must stop with somebody.
3: We've issued however, an invitation to uh, Mr.
6: Ganey to talk to us. So far, he hasn't come back to us. yeah well we have d- we have done the same, and unfortunately he hasn't spoken to us either. So I think it's incumbent on anybody in any district, whether it's Little Island or any other part of the area, for people who who are certainly looking for planning for development and certainly looking to engage with the local community, that they would do just that, engage with the community. As we understand it at the moment, there's four uh, caravans on that site. The last time that the travelers came there, there was thirty six caravans on the site mm. so it it It's important that that this does not escalate anything more than it is at the moment because again uh residents in the area especially the the elderly residents have been finding lots of, of of unusual objects and lots of unusual things in their back gardens. And while I'm not suggesting that, that they're coming from any particular source, it is very, very unsettling yeah. for these elderly residents at the moment who are, who are very often cocooning in their own homes and cannot move outside of them.
3: I suppose, Michael, just for, for want of, of balance, it's one of the hotbeds of, of this COVID-19 outbreak is potentially traveller sites which are, the official ones anyway, are all grotesquely overcrowded and it's like people being in a petri dish. So it's hard to blame members of the travelling community looking for somewhere to isolate themselves and protect themselves, I guess.
6: I suppose that that certainly is the case, and I'm sure in any community around where where there is vacant sites and and at the moment people if they're from the travelling community, if they're looking for for sites like that, you may have the case that they they will want to occupy them, they may want to distance themselves from other people uh, and reduce the number of of people around them of course that's very understandable. But I think you also have to look at whether some of these sites are official sites or unofficial sites. You also have to look at the other elements as to whether there's going to be social unrest in an area, as there has been. And you have to look at the fact, as the court is currently looking at, whether there's going to be a threat to to uh, the local community, and our issue here is if there is a threat to the local community, be it the residential community or the business community, then the, the guards have to act on that, which is what they did do. But then, are we putting the guards uh, in in a very dangerous situation by having to act here, where the type of of incident that occurred uh, at the weekend? Uh, put lives at risk. Indeed. Now, that's something that will be dealt with, I'm sure, by the court. But I I think, again, whether it is the travelling community or anybody from the the settled community is going to do things like this in full weight of the law, as has happened here, needs to come down on them. And I would hope that Judge Mary Dorgan will deal with this uh, very effectively on Wednesday. Okay.
3: Michael, just to put your business hat on for a second, I guess, before we finish, um, both your Little Island business hat and, I guess, your your business cork, the the business community is suffering terribly uh, through this uh, outbreak, this, this, this pandemic, and we can only, I guess, hope and probably pray, if that's what we do, that we'll all recover from this one day soon
6: um i think you know the whole country is is effectively in the in the same position here where we are all out of work where uh, businesses have closed uh, the the very unfortunate thing, I feel, is that very many businesses uh, will n- never open again if this continues uh, for a number of months, as is, is most likely at this stage. But I think we need to rally behind this, and I think every community, and, and in this case Cork, needs to rally behind it. If you go back to the days when there was big incidents here of unemployment with Dunlops and Fords, there was a task force established. I think the time now for Cork City Council, Cork County Council and the business organisations here, they need to establish a task force that's going to identify exactly what Cork is going to need, what Cork businesses are going to need and what we will have to put in place to get people and businesses back operating again. Unfortunately, it's going to be a multi-billion euro package that the government are still going to have to, yeah. to, to bring about, which is, which is still not in place. There are certain banking elements in place. But there will be a lot of new elements here that need to be brought about so that people have the opportunity to go back into business. Now, the other upside of this is it gives us all an opportunity to reevaluate our businesses, see how we can do things better, see how we can have a more effective operation, be it online or in other ways. I think we will come from it, PJ, but it's going to be very, very difficult. But yeah. We are all going to have to rally to the cause here and it needs to be led by the two local authorities here yeah. as a matter of urgency okay. uh, to start now. Well, I guess
3: we're trying to help people get through the initial phase of it at this stage and we will be looking at... the. Uh at the yeah. business along the way. Stay safe, Michael, and, and all you of your you own too. staff. And Thanks very much. That's Michael Mulcahy uh, from Little Island Business Association and, and Business Cork. We did try to speak to Mr Ganey, who we tried calling him. He owns that site down in Little Island. He's welcome to speak if he's listening, or anyone who to him is listening. Welcome to come on with us. Uh, 1850715996, there are a lot of messages. We've, we were hearing also about gunshots being fired. Uh, hearing about gunshots last night. And there was also a was there a, a car chase in Dillon's Cross at the weekend. I'm not seeing that uh, script up there in front of me. That's. Uh, yeah, there's also a uh, the involving a fatal collision, Are uh, investigating a fatal collision involving a scrambler bike uh, in Blarney County Cork on Saturday the 4th. Uh, he received a report of the incident. It took place on a public trail in the Woodland area at about 8 o'clock. From an initial investigation, it seems the driver of the scrambler uh, was a man in his mid-twenties, to collided with a tree. No one else was involved. Emergency services also attended the scene where the man was pronounced dead, Scene preserved. That was there at the weekend. We also got uh, audio from, from Robbie uh, last night. There was, he thought there were gunshots in the city centre. Some special speculation on Twitter that they were fireworks. I wonder, can anybody shed any light on that. Uh, Yeah, Robbie sent us a message. I just heard what sounded like gunshots in the city. I have it on my camera. It was loud. It was really scary. Um, my security camera is inside my window. sound sounded like 13, 13 shots. I, I'll get that sound and and let you hear it in just a minute. 1850, 715, 996. The Opinion Line on Course 96
7: FM. With a Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven day delivery for those cozy nights in. SolidFuelDepot.ie. Through government decisions, the mobilization of communities and the leadership of our incredible healthcare professionals, we can have a profound effect on the impact of this pandemic on our people. We have so many heroes manning our front lines, but we need everyone in this country to be a hero. Be a hero in their own home, be a hero in their community by taking the actions that will save lives. Save lives. lives. We live in challenging times. Look out for each other and stay safe. Be responsible. Follow COVID-19 guidelines. We'll update you with the latest advice and measures from official sources. We're online, on your phone, smart speaker and radio. radio. Corks 96 FM.
2: This is Corks. Gold, Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
7: us now, 1850-715-996. On
2: courts 96 FM. Yeah, Frank on WhatsApp
3: reckons he also heard gunshots, doesn't think it was fireworks. Let's have a listen see what you think. This is the sound. Thanks to Robbie for sending this into us. <laughs> That did sound that, yeah. That could easily be gunshots, so it could. Uh, that's Robbie, thanks for that. Uh, also from Dylan's Cross, we heard that a guy was being chased by the cops outside my gaff. This is exactly what the message we got. A fella being chased by the cough, uh, cops outside my gaff, plowed straight into the lamppost, took off on foot. I don't know what he did, but it must be bad. About 10 squad cars and 30 cops. Dylan's cost just at the turn-off for the Glen. Anyone else tell us about that? The ten police cars and loads of guards. We must be something major. What, what was that about last night? But thanks for, for the people sending us in all this information. Uh, 1850 715 Let us turn our attention, though, again, to that which is dominating everything in our lives for now, at least, and probably will do for the foreseeable future, and that is COVID. To do the numbers for you this morning, uh, over the weekend, since we finished with you Friday at 12, we've had 1,145 new confirmed cases, bringing the total to 4,994 cases in the Republic of Ireland. And then we've had 60 deaths confirmed since we left you on Friday. That brings the total to 158 Deaths now in the Republic of Ireland from COVID-19 since the first death was recorded in early March. We have reached, it's, it's a figure that is worth keeping an eye on, we have reached 34 million, uh, 34 deaths per million of population in this country. That's low on a European scale, relatively low on a European scale. In the world, as of 8 o'clock this morning... There are 1,346,889 cases, 69,498 deaths, but 262,965 have recovered. I'll be actually talking to the guy who's creating all those figures a little bit later in the programme. The UK was at our level of deaths per million about a week ago let's talk to the man who we got to know on this program when we were talking about lyme disease a couple of years ago he's uh he's became well known and famous with our listeners for talking to us about lyme disease but um, he's very much involved in this crisis now because dr john lambert is a consultant in infectious disease and he joins me now john good morning and thanks for talking to us again hey good morning nice to talk to you those numbers are worrying Um, We've been told that if we keep up our social distancing, if we stay at home, if we do what we're told, we will eventually bring this under control. Are we anywhere near
8: it, though? Okay, staying at home delays the issues, but it's not going to solve the problem. So I I don't think we're anywhere near solving the problem at the present time. We've done better than other countries because we clamped down sooner. UK didn't clamp down as soon and they're way ahead of us because the cat's out of the bag. So I think we're better controlled in Ireland. But there's a lot of steps we need to take in order that when we stop the clamp down in the country, it won't go back to the way it was before. Mm-hmm. Like uh, We
3: are doing the right thing so far. Like you said, arguably we might have done it a week or ten days earlier but then, the, the, if you like, the, the scientists are divided on that, aren't they?
8: Well, people are divided but, but you can look at international best practice you you look at the who guidelines you can look at the success of singapore south korea look at germany's doing there's a lot of countries that have had successes and we actually have to 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 learn from those and start implementing those successes um otherwise if we if we relax the lockdown it'll just start spreading again
3: how long do you think we're going to be in this lockdown situation for at a guess
8: two months at a guess but it depends upon what we do while we're locking down uh to 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 make a difference and and for example we need to upscale testing we need to upscale partner notification and we need to kind of educate the public on things that they can do to prevent the onward spread people are not staying in the house 24 hours a day if you go out shopping and you're wearing surgical gloves and surgical masks and wandering around all day with that and handling everything, you're actually spreading the virus. So, so pe- pe- these are the messages that there's lots of messages that we need to give to the hospital. There's lots of messages we need to give to the community, and that's going to determine when we can actually end the lockdown.
3: Yeah. Like, at the moment, we can go out to the shop a couple of times a day if we want to. We can go for our walk. Where where I live was like a charity walk on Saturday afternoon. There was dozens of people out. Now, admittedly, all keeping their distance. We still have a certain
8: amount of limited freedom. Could we be tightened up further? Well, I I think if 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 the numbers don't settle and if 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 if, if we don't continue to. If the numbers don't continue to improve, if the surge doesn't it continues in the hospital, more patients coming into the hospital, more patients going to the ICU, we, we may need to uh, take more measures. It's, it's, you can't make a decision today about what's going to happen in a week.
3: And that's the point, isn't it, Doctor? These things change in a matter of hours, let alone days or weeks.
8: They absolutely do, but there are some things I think that are critically important that really haven't been addressed in the community. I mean, I mean, I was I had to go shopping yesterday, and there's some fellow in the shops, and he's got a screen up, and he's got a pair of gloves on, and he's taking those gloves and wearing them all day, and he's touching every item uh, that I hand to him, and he's returning it to me, and and you know, coronavirus survives on surfaces, on grocery, you know, items, on. Paper, on surgical gloves, on stainless steel, on plastics, on wood. So, so if you're not if if wearing those plastic gloves, even wearing a mask is giving a false sense of security. You you should be doing rigorous hand washing. That's the with every touch that you make um, outside of the house. um, That's an additional measure that really needs to be reinforced to the communities because you can't stay in the house 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You are still going to have to go shopping. But if you go shopping and you, you, you catch an infection while you're observing social distancing because you touched something that was contaminated, that's a really important message. And I don't think that message is getting out to the community and it needs to get out to the community today.
3: Yeah. Is there anything that we now know about this virus, John, that we didn't know six weeks ago and that might at some stage in the near future, be useful to us?
8: Well, I, actually, we, we need to learn more about it. You know, like I said, people describe it as just a virus that causes a fever and a sore throat. But there's not, actually, there's a lot of data coming out that they have other symptoms. 10% of patients get neurological uh, problems, seizures. 30% of patients get gastroenteritis, abdominal pain. So there's lots of other symptoms that that the medical community needs to be aware of that this virus causes besides just a fever mm. and, and a cough. So it's a new virus. We're learning about it. And, um, you know, the, the additionally, it may come again next year. It may not burn out. In yeah. The flu burns out in April. This may go on year-round. And we're kind of holding out for a vaccine, but there is no vaccine in sight. So we actually have to do things right now that is going to ensure that we minimise the spread and and protect you know the the, the population of Ireland. There's
3: another symptom that you mentioned that that uh, I, I was going to bring up with you. I've been hearing a lot of it over the weekend. People apparently losing their sense of taste and smell within hours.
8: Yes, and that's what that's one of the that that is one of the the early symptoms. That's that's not that's new to this virus. I've not seen that with any other viruses. So it's a brand new virus. Um, and we can't really compare it to flu, we can't compare it to the common cold. It's a brand new virus, and and if it gets to the wrong person, it's a very lethal virus. Flu kind of kills you over a period of a week or two. If you get a really bad progressive of coronavirus, within 6 to 12 hours, you go from feeling poorly to being in the intensive care unit, and that's quite scary. Um, Have the
3: experts learned anything yet that might uh, show a weakness in
8: it? Nope, not at all. Not at all. I mean, we need to come up with successful antivirals. Uh, We need to, for people who are critically ill, we need to kind of expand our support, which we're doing, by expanding the ICUs. And we do need to look for a, a vaccine down the way um but there is there is no there there is no magic weakness to this virus this virus is mutated to become very virulent there's nothing we can do about that we just Mm -hmm. need to learn to manage it and it may we may be managing it for years to years to come
3: and come back to the washing of the hands that's the one thing we do know isn't it that the structure of it is damaged by soap and water
8: yes soap and water or even just you know 0.1 percent bleach You know, just wash your hands. Uh, You know, if you wash your hands, it dies within a minute. Mm. But like I said, it can stay alive on glasses for four days, paper for 24 hours, surgical gloves for four days. So if you're running around using your surgical glove thinking you're protecting yourself, all you're doing is you're carrying around COVID gloves and spreading it to other people. It's given people a false sense of security. That's a really important message for the community. Hand washing, every time you touch a surface, every time you go in and out of a grocery store, a petrol store, a liquor store, that is really critically important for you. Um, having the false assurance that you're wearing a mask that's contaminated and wearing gloves that are contaminated, that's not the message that needs to go out to the community.
3: Come back to the testing, and and we know that there's a global shortage of the active ingredient in testing, the reagent. Mm-hmm. We know that there's a global shortage of that, but I think they're trying to procure more. That's a big problem. And, and then antibody testing is the next step. So are we testing enough? Is the
8: test accurate enough? Well, the well, the, the the PCR test, which is the test to make the diagnosis, there's been a shortage of reagent, there's a shortage of supplies, there's a shortage of swabs. Now, in my opinion, that's something that should have been discussed four a year four weeks ago. Um, somebody should have ordered them four weeks ago in anticipation of this. So, so I think, given that that's happened, that people are scrambling now to find the test. But the test is not 100%. If you get a PCR test, um, it it, set, it it picks up 70% of the cases. It's not 100%. So you you know so so it's a good test, but if your test is negative and you're really sick, you mm-hmm. probably still have COVID. So that's the that's the PCR test. Now the antibody tests that are being developed, this is a test that's going to be helpful down the way. Like for example, I'd like to know if I'm positive by antibody. If I'm positive by antibody, that means I'm immune to it. So so and that means I must have had the infection and didn't even know it. So it's going to be important down the way that we have antibody tests after the epidemic is over to to see if people are immune to future infections, but right now we just need to concentrate on getting more PCR tests, more PCR tests, more people tested means that you can actually Test them, isolate them. If they're sick, bring them in urgently to get evaluation. If they're not sick, kind of quarantine them at home. And all their contacts, do the contact tracing, because there's probably three, four, five people out there Mm. who don't know they're infected, wandering around, going to Aldi, going to Lidl, going to the... For the petrol stores, shops, may be spreading the infection. Yeah. So the sooner we get good testing and good toncat tracing done, that's the thing that's going to flatten the curve, not just keeping people in isolation indefinitely.
3: And, and people who think that all they have is, is a bit of a seasonal cold, mm-hmm. that's dangerous too.
8: That is dangerous, and and sometimes they just have a cold and they have no fever, and sometimes they have a bit of a fever and no cold, you see. Not everybody has all of these symptoms, and then some of them have none of those, and they have diarrhea or they have confusion or seizures. Those are not things that you'd think a doctor would think coming to the emergency room. They wouldn't even think COVID would be on their radar screen when they see them in the emergency room. So we have to get a message out there at all levels, you know, to the education, to the community, Educating to the nursing homes, educating to for, in Dublin the Dublin buses, the public transport, all of the different services that where people are in contact. Um, We need to do all of these things in parallel. That's the way we're going to flatten the curve. Mm. John, I think it's fair to say that
3: some listeners, would, uh, listening to you and me conversing like this, some listeners will be very afraid because, as I mentioned uh, 10 or 15 days ago, this is an invader in our midst that we can't see, can't touch, can't smell, has the potential to kill thousands of us. Can you reassure anybody... John Lambert, that, that that you know, who is
8: very frightened right now? Well, I think what I can reassure you is that most of the hop- hospitals in Ireland have done a really good job of preparing for this epidemic, shutting down all the outpatient services, transferring all the staff. So I, th- so I think if you show up to the hospital and you're sick with COVID, you'll be really well managed, you know. Um, if you require intensive care unit care, You'll, do, you'll get that intensive care unit care, you'll get a bed, you'll get a, a ventilator. So there's been really excellent scaling up in Ireland for the surge that's coming. And some countries, have, if you look at Italy and if you look at Spain, they've been unable to cope. So I think we've, we've actually put off the crisis by shutting down the country a few weeks ago and we've had time to prepare for the hospitals and that's a really important message. So if you're sick, I think you should go to the hospital. You'll get really good care and 90% of people will get over this even if you end up in intensive care. That's the experience. Um, like, you, Hopefully you'll never get to that stage but you shouldn't delay. If you're unwell, you should go to the hospital and I think that's one of the fears. People are afraid to go to the hospital now even if they're sick at home. So I would advise people to Call the GP, get referred in early if you're sick, and you'll get good take care, and most people will recover. So that's one important mm. good message. We've done a great job in that. The government's done a great job. All the hospitals have done a great job with preparedness for the surge.
3: And I guess something we're blue in the face from saying, but we must accept it from, for, for quite some time to come, this is going to get worse before
8: it gets better. I think it will. I think it will. We, we, we're, we're not quite... People have predictions uh, that we're a week behind the UK. You know, we we, we don't know. It's, it's, it's sort of like the tsunami, right? Before the tsunami, you kind of... The water goes out and, and then something happens. Everybody's holding their breath, waiting for the tsunami. We're all hoping it's going to be uh, difficult, but not a tsunami. But I think we are going to escalate in the next week, hopefully not to the degree of any other country in Europe because I think we have done a better job I'm more, my comments today are more about how we can actually go back to normal life all of the stuff in the community has to be done the acute care hospitals I think have done an excellent job mm.
3: Finally, we were told by Taoiseach on the 27th of March that we would be staying at home and just going to the shop or just going to essential work until
8: Easter Sunday I, I think
3: we can forget about
8: that absolutely I think I think lots of people have made those predictions I think I think it's going to, it's gone through it's gone through May or possibly June by the way uh, depending upon uh, what happens over the next two to four weeks all right listen and we may catch up again in in the, in the future Dr. John Lambert
3: uh, thank you very much he's a consultant in infectious diseases based in the matter Hospital in Dublin' it's scary this is scary but we can forget about lockdown being lifted by May. You might even have to forget it being lifted in May. And then he was talking about shopping. you got to be really careful when you're shopping. Wearing gloves and masks while you're shopping, of little or no benefit to you. In fact, if you're wearing gloves and you're carrying virus, you're just spreading it. If you're wearing gloves and you pick it up from something, you're just spreading it. Masks, the science is kind of divided on masks. They're of little or no use to unless you actually have it or are you working with someone who has it? Generally seems to be the opinion. 1850, 715, 996. Not to mind that video, did you see it? It went around at the weekend. He was in a little branch in the UK, and he was going around licking products and spitting on groceries in Lidl. Like, I'm sorry, that fellow should be taken out and put into a dark room and left there for a very long time with, with bread and water. Mind you, what happened here? He'd probably get bailed. 1850 715 Miss Ellie says, the man is spot on regarding gloves. I'm blue in the face from saying it. Also, nails. Cut your nails short. Germs will harbour under long nails. I don't know if this is relevant, says Dylan, but someone was telling me that if you have the virus and you touch anything plastic or steel, like in a supermarket, it remains for around eight hours. Well, whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. It is true. It is true. If you are, as they say, shedding virus, it can sit on surfaces for hours, if not days, depending on the surface Uh, Kevin says I just don't get it if you're not working then bar going for a walk once a day in your local area why do people feel people feel entitled to go outside what part of stay at home is complicated Jerry reckons we'll be in lockdown until October. Oh, stop, Jerry, don't be telling me that. Don't be telling me that. It's hard to deal with, but we do, we're going to have to get used to it for a while. Janet on Facebook, you have seen the story yesterday that the Taoiseach has re-registered, Leo Bradker has re-registered as a doctor. He hasn't practised as a doctor or been registered as a doctor since about 2013. He has re-registered and now is going to do, I think he said, one shift a week. Um in whatever capacity he's asked to help. Why is Leo Varadkar only offering one day a week, says Janet, when he is a qualified doctor? People are coming out of retirement when they are most at risk. People are returning from other countries to help out. Why is he only doing one day? He should be on the front line with everybody else. Get his deputy to do his job. Simon Coveney, in other words. So what you're suggesting, Janet, is that Simon Coveney, the tarnisher, would assume control of government for now, and that Leo would go back into practicing as a doctor on the front line. I wonder what people think of that. What do people think of Leo's decision? Opinion was kind of mixed on it. Well, look, he's a doctor, he's re-registering, he's going back in, then that's a decent thing to do. Is it that or is it a publicity stunt? And no one can kind of figure out which one it is. 1850-715-996 1850 715
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's
7: 96FM With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood Open late, seven days SolidFuelDepot.ie
2: Cork's 96FM now brings you even more music choice Streaming online Online
7: Listen to the Hit Mix for fresh new music. Fresh
2: new music. And the all-new Corks 96FM Fitmix
7: is the perfect soundtrack for your workout. Your
2: workout. Download our app. Listen on your smart speaker.
7: Turn
2: up the volume. Or go to 96FM.ie. This is Corks. Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The opinion line with PJ Coogan.
7: Text or what's up now? 083-396-9696.
2: On course 96 FM.
3: If you're wondering what I think about Leo going back to doctoring, I actually think it's a decent thing. It's a good thing that he's doing it. I kinda like the idea that he could maybe go back in full time unless Simon Colney run the show for a while. But that's kind of a cork thing, I think. But no, the fact that he's going to use his medical skills to try to help in whatever capacity he can, I'm good with that. But don't overspin it either, lads. Eighteen fifty seven Let's go back to Little Island and that traveller encampment, illegal traveller encampment, where they say they're self-isolating. And they believe that under the emergency measures for COVID-19, they can't be evicted. Uh, Fall TD Padraig O'Sullivan Padraig, good morning. Morning, PJ. Uh, you know that area well, of course. Little Island being being part of your Bailiwick, it's 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 an important situation for the locals. But I suppose we also got to take the kind of uh, understand that the travelling community they're frightened too of this.
9: Yeah, I suppose, look, in an ideal world, PJ, um, the travelling community in East Cork would have somewhere, you know, formal, uh, a site that they could stay, you know, and they wouldn't be moving from, from, from site to site, um, and I suppose life would be easier for them, and life would be an awful lot easier for local people as well, but the situation that's happened over the weekend, I suppose, is just highlighted... Um, how unsafe it is yeah. it, it is done that site for not just for local people but for the travelers themselves you know um and i suppose look the the the, the traveler family that have been there in the site um, estate um for the last few months um look there's been minor incidents over the last couple of weeks um but nothing to the extent of what happened unfortunately over the weekend with with you know with the guard being attacked and the guard patrol car being damaged yeah Um, So look, it's just concerning for us all, it's concerning for me as a public rep as well, I'm inundated with with calls from people, as you said, I I grew up in that area and I would know everybody. Um, And I suppose, look, there's just extreme concern there at the minute. And I suppose at present, you know, we're all talking about social distancing, um, you know, but there are instances, and this is an example of one, of of people floating those guidelines. you know, so look, people are genuinely and justifiably asking, look, if if, if they're adhering to social distancing rules, why why isn't the, the family in this instance?
3: Yeah, I mean, if you take just Spring Lane, the close, closest to us here, that that halting site, that's grotesquely overcrowded. That must be very that's dangerous as a breeding ground for this for this virus. You could see why people would want to get out of some place like that.
9: Yeah, of course, but I suppose the, the difficulty I have here is reading the newspaper article over the weekend. You know, the, the, the addresses of of the, let say, the people alleged to have committed the crimes are are or the alleged incidents. Um, they're from Tipperary, Waterford, and, and other areas. So, I suppose to get to, to get to the locations that they have gotten to, you know, they've gone well beyond the two kilometres. They've gone from different local authority areas to to, to another one. So, um, while people? Genuinely has concerns. I suppose the last thing they should be doing is travelling long distances in the first place, and then interacting with, with other families. Um, I suppose this this, this sag is going on quite a while. You know, the 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 site that's in question at the back of Sitecast Industrial Estate. It's actually owned by a company in Dublin, and I've had numerous interactions with them back going back as far as 2014 when I was first elected to Cork County Council. I suppose, look, at that time in 2014, 2015, the local community association here in Little Island with Carr County Council erected steel barriers to prevent people accessing this private site, Um, and the locks on those barriers disappeared a number of months ago, Um, you know, so look, precautions were taken uh, to prevent people from accessing the site, they have access to the site. as I said, look, people, the community here are just concerned with the escalation. I suppose that happened over the weekend.
3: Okay, all right,
9: Padraig. Can I ask you about these talks
3: that are going on between Finucane and Finagale? We might eventually get a, a government out of it. There's a policy paper being drawn up now. That'll be given to the other parties. Really, shouldn't we just let the a, existing arrangement? carry on until we know what's happening with this blasted virus, because a new government coming into office, all the ministers would have to read into their briefs, and there'd be fierce disruption as we try to to settle into into the job, do you know?
9: Well, look, PJ, I'm not privy to any of the negotiations going on, I'm not part of the negotiation team, we have a number of TDs who are but from the outside in um, I suppose people, I think we want a government, you know, to pass legislation in the coming months. We yeah. need a government. We need to fill the, the Senate. You know, it's just a constitutional requirement that needs to be had. Whether whether ministers have to be changed as part of any arrangement, be as a national government or be as a Fianna Fáil, Senegal, plus other coalition, um, I suppose that's the progress of the Taoiseach, the makeup of the Cabinet, whoever that Taoiseach might be. So it's just because there, there will be potentially a new government doesn't necessarily mean that, Ministers would have to change. Um, okay. But I do think that we need a government, you know, um, whatever the makeup of that will be, I'm quite open to, to what it might be. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's a constitutional requirement that we need to, you know, if we could be required to pass a number of emergency measures over the next couple of months. We don't mm. know what, what's still ahead of us. In,
3: in 2016, we'd no government until the middle of May.
9: Yeah, but we have the 90-day rules, you know, from the Constitution um, that, you know, if a government isn't formed after 90 days, um, then essentially, you know, this caretaker government can't. Implement some of the measures that you know that we're, we're talking about might be required. We could we could go into a more extreme version of a lockdown. There could be you know a number of of of, of hurdles that we have to face as yeah. as a country, and not to mention I suppose picking up the pieces afterwards yeah. economically, and and you know having to deal with a number of problems that will, will come up.
3: All right, okay, we'll take we'll leave it there for now. Thank you. That's uh, Patrick O'Sullivan Finnafall TD for Cork North Central. And Collis says, after listening to John Lambert, I'm more convinced than ever that supermarkets should supply hand-washing facilities or very resor- well-resourced hand sanitizer at the entrance to the supermarkets as you go in from the streets. There's something, actually, that I've noticed in a lot of supermarkets, and it will be a very simple change for them. I'm thinking of, I won't name any places, but three or four places that I saw over the weekend. You have your little trolley park outside, so, the trolley park is outside in the car park. You get your trolley and you walk towards the door. You may stand in the queue as well as you. Are. You get inside the door then and there's sanitizer. But if you've been pushing that trolley, waiting to get to the door, and it had virus on it, you may already have picked up the virus off the trolley. Could we not have the sanitizer station for the trolleys at the trolley bay? Would that be possible? particularly when you only have one trolley station. I'm thinking in terms particularly of a couple of the Tesco's I was in over the weekends, one or two, uh, and there was a super value, just watching them. The the trolley is away from the door. So you get the trolley, and then the sanitiser is inside the door or at the door. So you've had to push a trolley, which might be contaminated, towards the door. Do you get what I mean? Just worth thinking about.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM.
3: Yeah, have a think about that for a few minutes more with regard to what the off-licences, whether they should be closed or not. There was an article in The Echo over the weekend where Professor of Public Health at Trinity College in Dublin, Joe Barry, a cork man, he said closing the off-licences might be necessary. He's questioned why they've been allowed to stay open, uh, expressed fears about an increase in home drinking wonder what you think. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. I'm going to give you the council numbers in a minute. The two council numbers for help. If you need help during this whole lockdown uh, emergency, I'll give you both the Cork City Council and the Cork County Council numbers in the next uh, half an hour or so. But regarding contamination and where virus can be or not be, one thing I certainly wouldn't want to do would be to pick up a pair of discarded rubber gloves from the ground. As I walked out of here Friday to go to my car to go home, I spotted two discarded pairs of rubber gloves across the road from us here at 96FM, and I thought, God pity the poor misfortune the street cleaner who has to pick those up because they could be contaminated with all sorts. And That wasn't, that was the first time I'd seen them. Loads of people had mentioned it to us during the previous few days. Ryan, good morning to you. How's it going? You've seen a lot of it.
10: Yeah, in my back garden. Your back garden, mate? Back garden all over the weekend from Friday, Saturday, and then Saturday I posted on Facebook about all the gloves I was picking up and a mask, and then Sunday morning I walked out again to another pair of gloves stuck there.
3: Where where are you living? In Cove cove, and literally people are just chucking them over your garden wall.
10: They're chucking them over, and they've been actually pushed into the hedge, because I've had to pull them out from the middle of the hedge.
3: For goodness sake. And, yeah, and, and how, I... how do you safely dispose of them?
10: Like, oh, Well, what I've been doing now is I've been putting them into the fire, and making sure they've been burned. Yeah. yeah. So just to make sure they've gone and got rid of.
3: And hopefully you're washing your own hands thoroughly when you've done.
10: Oh, of course, sanitise the whole lot, yes. Yeah.
3: What, an, what a disgraceful thing to do to discard what could be heavily contaminated gloves and a mask into somebody's back garden. That's
10: dreadful. And I have two kids out there now and with the lockdown, all I have right now is the garden to play in, you know? That's right. So with them throwing gloves in now, we have to worry about the kids. Are they touching them? Have they seen them Are they in the garden before they go, you know?
3: Yeah, you've got to check for them now.
10: Yeah, it's, just, it's just a disgrace.
3: And did you see anybody doing it?
10: No, we haven't seen anyone doing it, but they've just been there day after day. Friday was the first time I cleaned them up. Then Saturday they were there again, and then Sunday morning they were there again.
3: Wow! And have any of Are you living in a house on your, are you in a, in a house on your own, or are you in a estate, or where are you?
10: It's on the the kind of main road by the the Eurospar garage. Right up there in Newtown. Oh yes, I know the place. Yeah. Up there, so it's kind of everyone walks past the house like so it's just an easy dumping going for them to get rid of them, you know?
3: Gotcha, gotcha. You do, I was gonna ask, have you neighbours, but you're fairly much on your own there?
10: It's on the corner, you see, that's yeah. right in the main road.
3: So they're just dumping they're just dumping them willy nilly over the wall.
10: That's it precisely, yeah. That's crazy. P- plenty of bins around the place, you know?
3: That's absolutely crazy. And would you have a littering problem regularly anyway?
10: Yeah, we would always inside here now. All the years now, my parents been here. Now she said there's always been rubbish under the hedge. Now cleaning out every single day, bottles, cans, food, takeaway wrappers. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well that's that. That's just that's actually disgusting. Yeah. That someone would have so little regard for public health that they take off their own possibly contaminated gloves and fire, instead of taking them and disposing of them safely, fire them over your wall into into your garden, maybe for your kids to find them. God Almighty, oh, that's terrible.
10: God forbid! No, if one did have the virus, no, my kids picked it up. No, and they caught the virus. You know what yeah. could happen then?
3: And then it's, it's through the whole house and whatever. And do you have any? Do you have
10: relatives cocooning and stuff like that? Yeah,
3: everyone. my mother,
10: my grandmother, my parents' mother, everyone. You know.
3: Yeah, and of course you're, you're probably trying to trying to help them as best you can. God, it's terrible. That's dreadful. Ryan, listen, thanks for thanks for that. Uh, that's Ryan in Cove, and he's thank you, Ryan. He has been finding disposed. The discarded gloves and masks over the weekend in his garden. I'm sorry, that is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Anyone who would just take a pair of gloves off their hands in the middle of a pandemic with this, we've heard from Dr. Lambert earlier on in the morning and from many other people like him, how dangerous this damn thing can be if it gets into the wrong body. Yeah, yeah most of us will be okay in a few days. Most of us will be grand. We don't know till we get it how bad we're going to get it. That's terrible. 1850 On the subject of the off-licences, Joe Barry, Professor Joe Barry, Professor of Public Health at Trinity College, Dublin, has questioned why off-licences have been kept open during the COVID-19 lockdown as fears are raised about an increase in home drinking. He said closing off the off-license might be unpopular, but several unpopular measures have already had to be taken by the government during the crisis. He said alcohol is already being sold in supermarkets and in petrol stations. I'm not sure if we need the off-licenses too. He said that, well, I'm, in that case, I'm, I'm interpreting him to mean, maybe he does, maybe he, I'm interpreting him to mean that it's okay to have an off-license in a supermarket where you'd be going anywhere for your groceries, of essential groceries, but not to have the off-licence in the main street. He wants those ones to close. He said the last thing hospitals need is to face people who've suffered severe injuries while drunk. Dr. Barry said overconsumption of alcohol is a concern at a time when large numbers of intensive care spaces are expected to be needed. And concerns about alcohol intake have also been raised by the director of Taper Lodge. Mick divine. They've closed their doors to new admissions during the crisis, but they're still taking taking calls from people with concerns. There was another article then in the Irish Times of the weekend by Nicola Perdy, which was actually a, a, a just a very good warning to us. Just be conscious of the amount you're drinking. Like Saturday, Friday night I, did, I had one glass of wine, I think. Saturday night we hooked up with some friends on Skype. It was fun actually. We Skyped each other on we've on the screen, on the television screen. We'd, we'd fun for a couple of hours and had a couple of drinks. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's nothing wrong with having a drink at the weekend. I personally don't drink during the week. Or very little anyway. Very, very little. The wife doesn't drink at all during the week. Um, but but this idea that why would we clamp down for And I said it in a tweet yesterday. I said it's one of the few simple pleasures we have left don't be taking that off us. That's but Michael Gearan, Michael gearan Geir, good friend of the show, um has a certain view on this. And I'll talk to him next. 1850
2: The opinion line on course 96 FM.
7: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie Casey and Ross in the morning. Weekdays, 6 to
2: 9
11: a.m. On Corks 96 FM. If you want to help out Laura Lynn, Ireland's Children's Hospice, here's what they've come up with 3,000 press ups in April. That's what they're asking you to do. Can you do a press up there. No problem.
7: Put- Get
3: down on the ground. Do you know what? I sprained my wrist together. Get down day. on the ground I'm, I'm, and I'm, do a push up. I'll do a push
9: up. I want to see this.
7: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big red head in them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. Corks 96 FM.
2: It's quartz gold EMRO Award winning talk show. The opinion line with PJ
7: Coogan. Text
2: or what's up now? 0833969696. On Court's 96 FM.
3: So I picked up that story on the Echolive.ie Twitter feed yesterday about Professor Joe Barry. And my tweet was on my own Twitter at PJ Coogan. Really? With no pubs no restaurants, no cinema, no theatre, no matches of any kind. We can only see our friends on a screen and we can only go to work to buy food or walk the dog. We'll all be 20 stone with crap hair. Surely a few beers at the weekend is a simple pleasure. One of the few that are left. Michael Gearan, good morning. Am I oversimplifying it?
12: Good morning, PJ. I wouldn't... uh, For those that can take a few beers and, and, and leave it at that, you are absolutely right that the pleasures in life that we have are very much curtailed at the moment over what's going on. Having said that, though, as we all know, and without getting into it, this virus is wreaking havoc in all sorts of ways, financially, economically, people's health. But the psychological damage that's probably being done by the outbreak of COVID-19 is being a little bit understated at times. And one of the areas in which psychological damage is being done and one of the, the, I suppose, the avenues that's opening up is the potential for alcohol abuse. Because alcoholism and alcohol problems are developed when people, when, when a stressor is married with a substance, if you understand what I mean. And people are under frightening amounts of stress yes. at the moment. They, they're in fear for their own lives for a start, which is I mean, stresses don't get any bigger than that in terms of things that would be on your mind. So I suppose what I'm saying is there would want to be a kind of a cautionary note about alcohol consumption at the moment and people need to be very responsible. Or they could find themselves going down a road that is very, very dangerous and they could end up, please God, when this COVID nineteen epidemic is all over and done with. Mm with another problem that they might have to deal with in that they could very easily become dependent on alcohol if they are being irresponsible with alcohol in the current climate. I
3: suppose for a lot of people, Michael, who have lost their job or else have been furloughed from their job for, for the foreseeable future and are at home all day, like myself... And both myself and the missus, and all of my colleagues in here, Fergal and Deirdre, we're we're all considered an essential service, so we're in work every day. But people with nothing to do, they're very likely to pick up a beer in the afternoon. There's an amount of self-discipline involved.
12: There is, and there's a few things going on at the moment. There's the absence of activities, as you pointed out. There's the social isolation and the idleness. Enforced idleness, I mean, because people aren't at work. And it would be very easy to say to oneself at 2 or 3 o'clock in the day, well, look, I've nothing else to do. I won't be going driving. I won't be going out, so I'll have a couple of years. And that can be a very insidious, slow, but slippery slope that people may not realise they're actually doing it too much until they're actually doing it to the point that it's troublesome. So I suppose I'm not saying to anybody this morning that they shouldn't take a drink if they enjoy a drink responsibly. Mm. But I think in terms of all the other self-care measures that we are trying to put in place for ourselves at the moment, including keeping in touch with people, taking exercise and so on and so forth, a very close eye on the amount we are drinking individually and as a nation, you know, would be important. Would you agree with Professor Barry? No, I wouldn't, because I think I wouldn't make the differentiation between single-unit premises, off-licences, and multiple supermarkets. I think the supermarkets cause more problems with alcohol consumption in this country than any independent off-licence retailer. Why? So I, why? Because they sold it very cheaply, and we can buy fewer alcohol at very small amounts of money um, because of multiple retailers and their scale and that has no doubt contributed to the irresponsibility around alcohol that has happened in Ireland over the past decade or decade and a half
3: mm. like with the with the pubs closed um the yeah. pubs uh, you, you we've talked about this before in a pub you can be monitored to, to some level and it's expensive but it's available cheaply and particularly in the multiples it's very cheap again that is a that is a concern of yours not so much that it's available but it's so cheap
12: that is how cheap, and it's a concern of mine in terms of more so problematic drinkers and underage drinkers than the fact that somebody of your age and your habits, let's say, can buy alcohol at good value, in inverted commas. Because you can buy an unbelievably amount, an unbelievable amount of pure alcohol for like 10, 12, 14 euros now in a multiple supermarket. And that's not a lot of money, and that's the amount of money that teenagers would be in there we meet on a regular basis to spend that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I suppose look the pubs were closed because it was a social distancing issue or physical distancing as they call it now people were in close contact but I do believe we do have an issue with the price that alcohol is being sold at in the country and that was evidence more, more so in any country than than Australia mm. where they brought in minimum unit pricing and there are any admissions dropped by a third in 12 months.
3: Although there are parts of the world Michael that make our the cost of our alcohol look look very expensive. There are I'm thinking in terms, in particular, of Spain, where it's much cheaper to buy.
12: They do, but they don't seem to have PJ this um, faulty relationship with alcohol that seems to be endemic within Irish society. I mean, there's no family in Ireland that isn't closely connected to somebody that has an alcohol problem, yeah. um, and the rates of alcohol abuse are lower. So it is a racial, national. Genetic phenomenon as well, and that we're probably a bit more predisposed to do it. You know
3: yeah. how how was so, how are people coping at the moment? Say the kind of people that that you work with on on a day to day basis. They they can't go out. They can't or can they still go to their AA meetings? I don't know if AA are doing meetings on Zoom now or what what what's happening. That's a problem for people too.
12: Yeah, it's a huge problem. We're we, it's a huge problem for us in the in terms of the clients that have left us, particularly recently, and they've been catapulted back out into the world, which when they came into treatment was far different. There's no like a twilight zone out there. It's, it's like nothing we've ever experienced. They're cut off socially. A lot of the supports that we would have recommended to them before they left or before the crisis are now curtailed as well because you don't have AA and NA, and we can't provide face-to-face aftercare services for obvious reasons. So we're trying to link in with these people via phone and via Skype and all these things. And we're doing the best we can, but there is no question about it. This is probably the most challenging time that somebody could be in early recovery from the substance misuse issue that I've ever seen in my career anyway.
3: Mm. Have you much time for the harm reduction theory, Michael? And, and it being this, I was talking to someone over the weekend who, who works with troubled families. And, and there would be someone in the house who is, to use the term, a functioning alcoholic. They'd have a couple of drinks in the day. They have to have that couple of drinks or they can get very angsty and very agitated. Harm reduction by letting them have the couple of drinks. Have you time for that theory?
12: I'm not so sure it works. Um, I think that if somebody is, is a genuine borderline Fide alcoholic, um, I think that them having reduced quantities of alcohol on a regular basis to stave off the cravings might provide some temporary respite to their issue um, and to their families and the people around them in that they mightn't be as contrary and stuff. But I'm not at all sure it will work in the long term. And I've never met somebody with an alcohol problem in my entire time in this game that was able to moderate their consumption or operate within a harm reduction model and, and be successful with it. I think we're spending too much money on harm reduction models anyway as a nation. And I think there are young people out there now with drug problems, for example, that are being diverted towards low-threshold harm reduction services. When in actual fact, these young people have the potential to go away, get professional help and come off drugs completely and reap all the benefits of that, of course, in the fullness of time.
3: Actually, I was thinking about that, too, as I knew you were coming on. People who are dealing, I mean, alcohol is freely available, but people who are addicted to other such drugs, their supply is either cut off completely because they can't get out or greatly diminished.
12: Yes, and in fairness to the HSE, I think they reacted quite properly and promptly to that in that GPs were encouraged to prescribe methadone for individuals who were on methadone stabilization programs for longer periods and maybe prescribe benzodiazepines to chronic alcoholics or benzodiazepine users who are buying them off the streets. One of the the, the, the problems that has happened with this, apparently, is anecdotally we are seeing more methadone being traded on the streets, which is a pity, but I don't think there's anything we can do about it at the moment because these circumstances are so difficult. It's more important that people have it and don't experience an undesirable consequence which might lead them to be hospitalized okay
3: michael finally for those of us who thankfully uh just enjoy a few drinks at the weekend or whatever and and you know it's we're at home now a lot more how would one know if there was a danger there like if, you know the, the question i'm trying to ask how can we protect ourselves from falling into the trap of addiction and overuse
12: I I think if somebody makes a reasonable prediction of what is a reasonable amount to drink on a weekly basis and to stick to that and not to go down the road of, 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 you know, like we said earlier on in the interview, that somebody who didn't normally drink during the day would commence commence drinking during the day in these times or things like that. What we are looking at basically, PJ, is deviations from the normal in terms of frequency, in terms of amount, and in terms of timing. I think they're the things that people need to be careful of. And I think people need to communicate as well. People need to get in touch and interact insofar as they can and make use of the great technology that we have now to be able to communicate with others around the world, from the comfort of our own
3: homes. All right, listen, always good talk to you, Michael Gearin, and stay safe uh, throughout this pandemic. Thanks very much. That's Michael Gearin from, from Brewery. Should we close the off-licences? He doesn't agree, by the way. He doesn't agree with Professor Joe Barry. He, he believes the supermarkets actually do more harm with the way they can bulk sell, drink, and and, and cut down the prices. And you can. You'll get a, you'll get a box of... 20 bottles of beer now for 16, 17 quid. Cheaper in some places. But do you think that the off-licenses should be closed? Or should have their hours limited? Or maybe even the off-license sections of supermarkets, should they be closed? Text yes or no, 083-396-9696. 083-396-9696. Text or WhatsApp yes or no. Do you think off-licenses should be either closed or closed? Or have their opening um, curtailed throughout the course of this lockdown. Yeah, AA are having meetings on Zoom. Uh, but Zoom now has some fairly well-highlighted security problems. Like there's reports of hackers in the UK posting adverse for drink in meetings after a gate crash. now nah, for God's sake. That's, that, that's nasty. That's mean and nasty. But yeah, there's a problem with Zoom. Now the the people behind it have pledged to address those problems, but Zoom has gone from very people were using it for business now for a year or so or more. But there's two hundred and odd million users of Zoom now, and it's got security problems because everyone's using it at home, and they're using it to talk to their mates and they're using it to have get-togethers on a Saturday night, and there's a security issue with it. So just be be very careful of that. Uh, Helen says, I never drink at home, so this isn't a problem for me. Liz, I never really drink at home, but I am now. Only a few at the weekends, so my brain knows it is actually a weekend. Bob says, no, I haven't had a drop since January. It's not good for the immune system anyway. My friends gave up smoking too. Alan says, the off-licenses should be closed. It's a disgrace to have them open. They're not essential. On WhatsApp, we've very little left. Please leave us have personal choice. The off-license in our town is easy to get to. There's no one in the main street. One person at a time. No queues. We'll put more pressure on supermarkets. Keep as many small businesses as you can going as possible. That's a good one, actually. Like why? T- why close another small business? So many of them are gone. So many of them might never open again. Why close another one? Tom says alcohol should not be sold during this period. This is what is causing parties in fields and house parties and is not proposing social distancing. No, Tom, I disagree with you. The selling of alcohol does not cause those parties. The people the people having those parties is what causes those parties. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Before I go to a break, very quickly, Mick,
13: good morning. Good morning, PJ. I was listening emotionally to that beautiful gentleman uh, speaking at Bury, at I presume, to the telephone call he was he was making to your PJ, in Michael, the studio. Yeah. My main point is PJ, very simply, is that it's never about money, is it? But in actual fact, not n- loan locally, but on a global scale, because we are in the global situation. The revenue from the drinks industry is actually higher than the oil business, which is incredible. Yes, not it? since the early 70s. And if you look at the stock sheets, which are sadly not uh, pre-printed anymore because of the of the, the bear situation at the stock exchanges generally, when say, things are available at rock-bottom prices, well for sake of a couple of million if anybody has a spare million they can buy it. but um, the point of this conversation is about the drinks industry specifically and um, the revenue is actually higher than the oil business think about that for a minute and let that sit with people's minds and in their hearts when we're in school on P.J., we learned that's hot that's cold that's cold don't do that that's good you know don't go there go there but of course in Cork specifically if you ask a person to go left they go right Just not because they want to but because you said you go the opposite way, you know. But we'll never learn to do what we're told anyway. But there is always damage. But there's nothing new in any of this, because there was a garden one time, PJ, and this beautiful planet of ours called Earth. And the, the boss in the garden said, look, you can have everything in the garden you can possibly want, but look, that tree over there, don't go near it, you know. And we all yeah, know yeah. the story there, you see. But I'm being politically correct I'm being very careful see, not yeah. to offend anybody, you see, I just said the but, garden, but, but, you know. But <laughs> do, you, do, you think,
3: do you think that we should be, during this time of crisis, able to get alcohol as freely as we can?
13: Absolutely, and the more the better, because it'll actually knock them out, and they won't be beating up and battering their wives and their girlfriends and their children. They won't be throwing their dogs and cats against the wall, and they won't be um, going out and driving their cars into trees and over cliffs. Those are
3: strong words, Mick. I wasn't expecting that well, answer.
13: I know that. I know you're working, but it's the truth from the heart, PJ. You know me now, or a long time, although you've never actually met me in person. But I shoot from the hip. I don't take any prisoners. So you reckon
3: that keep the alcohol on sale because it's actually keeping people, some people it, safe.
13: It, 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 is, it is keeping domestic violence as, as, as there isn't any acceptable limit. Of course, as you know, or even level, it's totally unacceptable and 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 inappropriate. But it does happen sadly behind closed doors, and we have a lot of those at the moment. PJ, PJ closed doors. And you're There's saying some it horrific stories people? that I hear in the streets because. I, I'm only recently off the street myself, as you know, from previous conversations. And um, But I hear some horrific stuff out there, and it's it's unbearable. The kids and the girlfriends and the boyfriends are getting battered because, uh, you know, people are, are living in fear. And alcohol, it takes the edge off, PJ. You know yourself, you're sitting down there at the weekend, you're watching a rerun of Match of the Day, or Bunny Car, or Mike whatever. More Fear, Whatever. Think, whatever. And, and um... It takes the edge off, you know. Oh, That's right. my main point. Right, as far as the government are concerned, they need the money, you now more than ever to fund the frontline services for the medical stuff, and they have to get it somewhere.
3: That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Leave it there and thank you. That's Michael Reardon. Um Keeping alcohol available will actually save some women from a battering, some children from abuse. The horrible image of And it happens, pet dogs being flung against a wall, little puppies and kittens being flung against walls and killed. Having alcohol on sale and available might prevent some of that. Strong words, 1850-715-996.
0: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, autobotulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults
11: or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300.
0: See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.
3: The the other thing, too, like, look at that get-together that they had up in Holly Hill at the weekend. Now, some people were condemning it. Um, it's but a
5: break, now we're getting
11: to this. Yeah.
3: There they were up there at the weekend. A whole park out, right? Someone playing a DJ, playing disco, and they're all playing bingo and sitting out in their gardens, having a few drinks. The social distancing can be observed you're only with your family. There they were, for hours on end. Now, it was loud, and some people weren't too happy about the loudness of it. But a lot of people loved it, and there was a lot of love. There you are. Go on. <laughs> That's Shannon's video. Thanks to Shannon for that. So, you know, people had a bit of crack the weekend. And as long as they keep their distance, keep their distance, they were doing all right. Uh, then again, we got this message at the weekend. um uh, a third person signs a message. Anonymous frontline worker wrote to D and said, Hi dear, I hope you don't mind me messaging. Basically, I'm very angry and upset right now. I've seen bingo parties, drinking parties, and people basically not giving a care about social distancing. I'm a frontline worker. I'm actually wondering why am I bothering going to work to protect patients and also protect my family when I get home because they all have underlying conditions. My husband, who has asthma, has to work as well. I think it's all a joke. I think people think it's a joke. I spoke to other frontline staff who were frustrated with all that's going on. The same people who were doing this will be on social media the following week saying RIP for their loved ones. I'm just wondering if it's something i might bring up on the show. I know it'll probably fall on deaf ears for some of the public, but just that people can be less selfish and think of others. Sorry, I can't go on air as I'm working, but thanks for listening and letting me vent. There's that too. There's that too. My friend is a local and was attacked basically for saying this is wrong because everyone's defence was they're all in their gardens. This didn't just go on for a short time, says this email. Gardaí were called late at night to have the extremely loud music turned off. This was a massive piss-up. And even more, all these young kids were then being minded by drunks. uh, 1850-715-996. We've just had a message in from a woman who describes herself as a person living with an alcoholic. I think it's important to read it. I'll do that next.
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM
7: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross Call and collect or get 7 day delivery for those cozy nights in SolidFuelDepot.ie <laughs> Access all areas on Cork's 96FM Your
2: guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment
11: scene Coming up this Friday and something to be enjoyed from the comfort of your sitting room, the world's biggest online quiz has started in Cork. There's a special Simpsons night coming up on Friday, and if you don't want to play, you can just watch the live stream at Patrick Ahern Entertainment on Facebook. If you want to enter a team, go to Eventbrite to get your ticket before 8pm on Friday night. Access all areas. Nathan Carter with special guest Brian Kennedy is set to play live at the Marquee on May 31st. Nathan recently released his 10th studio album Irish Heartland, which features collaborations with a number of artists, including the high kings and finbar fury tickets for a show are on sale now access all areas if you have a gig show or exhibition coming up in cork in the next few months drop us a line here at access all areas you can mail us on aaa at 96fm.ie access all areas your guide to nightlife on the side
7: from corks 96fm
2: this is corks Gold, Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On
7: Courts,
2: 96 FM.
3: Caller is a woman who lives with an alcoholic. In the name of God, she said, don't close the off-licenses, it's all I have. I can cope until 6 o'clock, and if he doesn't get the wine, I'll get it. In the name of God, don't close anywhere we can get a drink. I'm safer if he has access to the drink, but I have to keep out of his way during the day, and that's very difficult at the moment. But equally, why should the people who drink in moderation be punished? Leave them open. The government needs the revenue. Don't do the God Brigade thing on it. Try living with an alcoholic, and I'm telling you, you wouldn't wish it on Hitler. Your programme is brilliant, you deserve medals, you're playing a blinder, thank you, and keeping me going. I know if one of you say it, it's well-researched and it's true. Thank you for those kind comments and we have tried to make that our principle since this started, that everything we bring to you here in terms of a, a COVID-19 statistic or anything to do with it is, is based on facts and based on having stuff checked. Thank you for that. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Running that poll, do you think, though, that off-licences should be closed or curtailed while this crisis continues text to whatsapp 083 396 96 96 a simple yes or no will do yes or no yes if you do no if you don't of course to 083 396 96 96 We're running it on twitter as well opinions will vary opinions will differ that's the nature of a program like this i love the modern uh, definition of biased broadcasting you said something i didn't agree with Sometimes on this programme you'll hear things you don't agree with. That's the nature of the programme. Don't take it personally. Kevin says, let's all just go back to work. What's the point if people can't be arsed? Feed the drunk so they don't beat the kids is not a valid excuse to keep an off-licence open. If it is, then my moral compass needs a reset it's a view 185715996 I gave you our numbers earlier on this morning we currently have 4,994 cases in Ireland we've had 158 deaths which works out at around 34 deaths per million of population in Sweden as of 8 o'clock this morning they had 6,830 cases They've had 421 deaths, which is about 40 deaths per million of population. They don't have a lockdown. Life is continuing more or less as normal. And people are asking now, are they taking a massive gamble? Is it dangerous or do they know something that we don't? Philip O'Connor is a journalist and uh, podcaster, broadcaster based in uh, Stockholm. He's been on the show many times with me. Philip, good morning to you.
14: Good morning, PJ. Good
3: to talk to you again, mate. They are taking a massive gamble over there. Do they know something
2: we don't?
14: Uh, I don't think they do PJ I think what we're talking about here is a different interpretation of the same thing. So I spent last week uh, travelling over and back across the city of Stockholm here where I live from the Karolinska Institute to an ICU to a bar owner an Irish pub owner in the old town here trying to find out exactly what's going on. So one of the fellas that you'll be hearing a lot from in the international media at the moment is the state epidemiologist, a man called Anders Tegnell and I've been trying to work out exactly. Exactly what Tegnell knows that nobody else does. And it seems that he's working off the same data as everybody else. But he seems to have reached, he and his colleagues seem to have reached a different conclusion. And I asked him about that, PJ. I said, how is it that you're doing? I asked him exactly what you were asking me. Do you know something everybody else doesn't? And he said, no. He said, but everybody is deciding on a particular tactic. We're all trying to achieve the same thing and we're just in different ways. So these decisions are based on this data, they're based on scientific data, but they're also somewhat political. So one of the points that Tegnell and his colleague Ewan Yaseke both made to me was, if they close all the schools, firstly Yaseke, who's a colleague, says uh, there's no evidence that children are super spreaders and the second thing is, well, what do we do, if we close the schools, we lose you know, a quarter of the nurses because they've no childcare. So what they're doing is they're making decisions based on a different set of criteria than, say, the UK, than Ireland, than Italy. you know. And again, like I say, it's very, very hard. Nobody knows the outcome of this. They're learning. One man in an ICU, he runs a, an intensive care unit here, he was saying it's unbelievable how much they're learning. And that just goes to reveal how much they don't actually know about this disease and how it works. Our
3: first case was confirmed I think around the 29th of February. When was when was Sweden's force case confirmed?
14: It's- I don't have that exact information in my head now. But I can tell you, we did have a press conference here around about that time. We had a, a delegation here from the EU, and I was there filming it for a news agency. And it was kind of like everywhere else, PJ. This kind of snuck up on people, right? When you think, first of all, in Wuhan, China, when this breaks out, and it's in places in South Korea and that kind of thing, and it's still over there. You still don't see this as being something that's going to, you know, I honestly never thought. At that time, I was booked to go to the Olympics in Tokyo. I was heading for the European Championships in soccer. I right? had a load of great workbook around the world, and now my calendar's completely wiped out because, you know, you sort of can't really go anywhere or do anything. There's no live sports, as I'm sure your listeners will be well aware, and many of them, like me, would be missing it. So everything has changed, and changed utterly since those, th- those first uh, couple of cases. But I think one of the things that's worth pointing out, PJ, is that it's really difficult to compare statistics, right? And I'll give you one case here. I have a little office here in the centre of Stockholm, and a friend of mine from Antrim walks up the road. Now, that man has had uh, the coronavirus. He's been told over the phone that he's had but he's never been tested. So the statistics that you read out there as you were introducing me, uh, he's not part of those statistics. So people who may have died in that situation who wouldn't be listed in those 421-odd deaths that you've mentioned, yeah. and that makes it really difficult to compare between Ireland, Sweden, Germany. So, and, and, and in that data, you know, the, the, the conclusions you get from your data and science are only as good as the data you base them course. on. Of course.
3: And what, what, how, what kind of a scale of testing is going on?
14: I wouldn't say it's that great at all, to be honest, because, you know, if you take Greta Thunberg, the environmental activist who started the school strikes for the climate, she was out on Instagram saying that, uh, you know, she had the virus, or so she's pretty sure that she had the virus, but she wasn't even offered a test. She was just told to self-isolate herself and her father, who travelled with her, and just to sort of get over it in their own way. So Greta's not part of that. I haven't, I don't think I've heard of anybody. I've heard of one man, actually, who uh, tested positive for her, but for the most part, people are being told, they're being counselled over the phone, if they're young enough, if they're not in a risk group, if they don't have an underlying condition, there isn't that extensive testing. I mean, in Germany you can't walk down the street without being tested at the moment, but in Sweden it's very, very lax in terms of that. So there wouldn't be a huge, sort of, you know, a huge amount of data available there for them to base these things up. I
3: see a report in some papers today, the Mail, among others, that your Prime Minister there has now said the country needs to prepare for thousands of deaths. That's a, that's a change of tone.
14: Uh, I think it is, it's amazing when you look at this, when you sort of zoom out a little bit PJ and you look at it, I think there's an awful lot of things not being said and the authorities in all countries, not just in Sweden, are very very careful about what they're saying to people because they don't want panic, panic leads to no toilet rolls on the shelves of your supermarkets, it leads to people hoarding food it leads to selfishness generally I'm alright Jack, I look after myself so they've been very very careful and another thing in Sweden PJ is he can't be seen to be sort of going in and telling you know, the authorities what to do, in Sweden they try to get the best people, they appoint them and then they get the hell out of their way and let them do their work. And like it or not, whether you agree with Tegnell or not, and I would have my sort of suspicions that maybe he might be backing up the wrong tree here, but, you know, and i say the Prime Minister probably does as well if that's what he's saying, but, you know, they just let them get on with it. They let them do their thing. That's what they're paid to do and the politicians do not interfere. So in that way, you know, it's up to and the Prime Minister, to be, you know, he's supposed to prepare people but he's been very, very careful not to sort of spook them into doing things. But again, if you think about the PJ, one of the things I was considering overnight when I was talking to Dee and I knew I was going to be talking on your radio show, uh, one of the, the, the points that was made to me was, where does this end? Okay, so Yuseke at the, uh, the Public Health Institute here, he said to me, what are the British going to do? When can they open the schools again? Because if you close the schools and then you open them up again, is there not the same risk that this is going to keep going? Because this disease is not really going away. You know, it's not, there's no cure for it. There's no vaccine for it. It's going to continue to exist. So their point was, it's better to try to keep society taken away as normal. And in fairness, here there are no rules, there's no regulations that say you can't do this. No. They say we advise you not to do this. So on the way in to talk to you today, I was on the underground and people were sitting apart and that kind of thing. And if you go to a, a fast food restaurant now, nobody can sit down beside you because the tables are taped off and that and people are very good, PJ. They do they listen to that kind so, of stuff. So so they are they doing they the
3: distancing thing?
14: They, they are doing it to a certain extent. I wouldn't say it's as stringent as maybe what you might see. I mean, it's great to see uh, the, the media that I'm watching in, in Ireland from here, it's, people really are taking that seriously. Hey, what about theatres very...
3: and concerts and cinemas? That's and... all gone. That's all yeah, gone. That,
14: that's all finished, right? But what you will have is you'll have, I know I was just talking to a lad on the phone there before speaking to you, there's a football team in my local area, they're training this evening. Uh, but they're, you know, they're not doing this thing where you'd all gather around in a ring beforehand or that kind of thing. So there's a lot of common sense here. and When you appeal to people's common sense here and say look at this needs to be done they tend to be very good about doing it you get very few people who go right well now let's have a party for 49 people because now it used to be gatherings of 500 people now it's down to 50 and that of course meant the closing of sporting events and the closing of theatres and concerts and that kind of thing as well so uh, the only question is now how long this is going to last
3: and does anybody know
14: I don't think so I mean I think that there's an incredible scramble going on at the moment you know we always use the analogy of the swan it's just gliding across the water looks in complete control but of course under the water we know that the feet are going absolutely bananas so not too far from where I'm speaking to you here is the Karolinska Institute it's one of the foremost medical and research institutes in the world and I know that they are working feverishly there to see if they can get some sort of a vaccine if they can work out whether if you have had the coronavirus if the antibodies are going to protect you from it in the future so they need to be able to tell people all these things. So, but on the other hand, this man, you second I was talking to, he's told me that he's covered five pandemics starting with AIDS in the mid-80s. And he was absolutely sure that this was going to be finished by the end of May. And I mean, I sort of asked him, I said, you sound very, very sure of that. He said, look, uh, trust me. And I do think that the two words that nobody wants to speak in this country or any other country is herd immunity. They expect that if enough people get it, if there's enough antibodies knocking around, well, eventually that's what's going to stop the spread of it. So they said either a vaccine or herd immunity Community, but preferably the two together but that's where it's going but if you say that you are accepting the fact that people are going to die yes. and one of the last points that i was making was that numbers are data the number of dead is data uh, the number of people tested is data the number of people having this data do you know what else is data pj names are data and nobody can tell me the name of any person that they would sacrifice and that is why i think that we have to keep questioning these scientists and say okay what are you doing to protect us every day like
3: reading up a little bit about uh, Tegnell, I'm looking at a website, a post on, on patreon.com which of course you, you, you have a, a lot of posts on there. Like This guy, he's no slouch and he's never, uh, he's, he has history with Ebola, he has history with some of those severe African infections. You know, he, he seems to know what he's at.
14: Yeah, he's a very, very experienced man. Uh, when he arrived down in at the Ebola, he was sent by the World Health Organization as part of a three-man team. I think it was in 1995 uh, to Congo. Kinshasa it was called Zaire at the time. And he went down there. The first thing they realized was, and this is an amazing parallel to today, is what they needed was information. They needed good information sent out to the towns and villages because we know ourselves the conspiracy theories and the rumors. You will have heard them yourself, PJ. Gargling with water every 20 minutes, swallow the water, yeah. and you know, the germs will be killed. So all those kinds of things. Now, there's no scientific basis for any of that. 5G is in the news yet again, this kind of thing, you know. But he went out, and the first thing they did, they didn't buy ventilators or they didn't buy vaccines, they bought bicycles. And they sent medical students out to the villages to say, look, we've been talking to the doctors. This is what they tell us that you need to do. And that was the first step that they took in getting to grips with this. So he is very well aware, not just of, you know, every day he goes back to his little lab and they crunch the numbers and they try to predict what this curve is going to be, but they're also very, very conscious of the information that they're giving out and the impression that they're giving out about these things. And again, the more we know, this hand-washing thing is brilliant because um, one of his colleagues was telling me that the incidence of virtually Every other disease has dropped considerably since the coronavirus came in, and we all started washing our hands. So there's no stomach flu is being reported anymore. There's no natural, you know, the regular sort of common cold has not been reported. The usual spring flu wave that hits Sweden around about February that that hasn't occurred because everybody's washing their hands and taking their hygiene seriously. So that's a sort of a byproduct of the information that Tegnell and people are putting out there. So I suppose their job is to go into work and to, to try to learn and to ask the questions and gather the knowledge. But our job then is to listen to the information that they're giving us and to act on that and so far you know it seems that the social distancing and the hand washing is having a great effect in terms of curbing the spread of the disease
3: So far the the fear in every country and it's happened in Italy it happened in Spain it's it's happening in the UK we seem to be well it'll happen at some point here is that the health system becomes overwhelmed how close are you to that in, in, in Sweden or are you
14: well, last week I was over on the south side of town here in the to Hospital, and they had built this beautiful new wing, stage of the art, absolutely brilliant. There was going to be 23, I think, new operating theatres built out there. And then the coronavirus came along, and that was all wiped out. So they said, right, we're going to turn this into an ICU. And I was standing there talking to the man who runs the ICU, a man called David Conrad, and I was saying to him, you know, when do you expect this bed to be filled? And he said, well, pretty much as soon as you're out of here, we're going to start putting people into this ICU. So at the moment they have a capacity, they've increased the intensity of care unit capacity here in Stockholm by about 650% by the end of this week. So they've gone from having 38 beds to I think it's a little under, a little over 200 is the aim. And when I spoke from PJ it was very odd because you know the way uh, sometimes you have this sort of uh, the eye of the hurricane, right? So you would have, if you remember the Asian tsunami uh, back about 10 or 15 years ago, and before people arrive in the hospitals, you know that the victims of this thing are coming. You just don't know when, yeah. you know? And yeah. that was the impression that he gave me. And his staff you know, there was a, a, sort of a very odd air of anticipation they're prepared and they're ready and they're calm and that, but they know that this tidal wave of people is coming in there and they know that people are going to die and they know that they're going to be under the caution, that they're going to be working 12 and 14 and 16 hours and they're prepared for that now as best they can and th- there's no, you know, they can't predict the outcomes, I usually say in situations like this, that science can't give us any answers it can only tell us how to ask better questions mm-hmm. so they know that these things are coming and you know, he can't guarantee me that this is going to work, he can't guarantee me that there's not going to be in trolleys in the, in the hallways or the people are going to pass away because they couldn't get the care they needed. But he seemed to me to be quite confident that they had the systems in place that they would okay. be able to handle it, uh, and maybe an awful lot longer than certain other places.
3: In 30 seconds, Philip, finally, and thank you for your great explanation of how it's happening. Are you nervous?
14: I, I'm never nervous, PJ. As soon as I get nervous about anything, I go and do things. So I've been out in the street, I've been filming, I've been talking to people and that kind of thing. But you know, I'm still only 48 years of age. I'm still playing a bit of football and that kind of thing. So I'm not nervous for myself or for my family. But I am nervous for those who are in risk groups, for the people I know, because there's not a single name that I can give you that I would sacrifice for this. All
3: right. Thanks, Philip. Always good to talk to you. That's Philip O'Connor, based in uh, Stockholm, in Sweden. The
2: Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM
3: marion on whatsapp about the off licenses she said pj if they close the off licenses and let supermarkets sell uh, oh god help us with the queues but i can't understand why we can't go to garden centers and hardware shops to buy plants or paint especially that the good weather might keep us occupied do you know what there's a point to be made there and there's something to being allowed to buy a couple of pots of paint or a little bit of gardening material to get yourself through, if you have a garden, to get yourself through this couple of probably months now. Because there's lots of painting that could be done and lots of gardening that could be done and lots of decorating that could be done around the house and people could pass the time that way rather than being planked in front of Netflix drinking. But it's deemed non-essential. Then again, drink is non-essential. Then again, tic-tacs are non-essential, but Ferrero's still open. The range was open uh, over the weekend. The range had been open for a couple of weeks. We had a few complaints about it. The range have blocked off whole swathes of the store, though. Uh, My daughter went down there to buy pet food the other day. uh, Because the pet food that our guys like, you can only get it at the range. She went down to buy the big bag of it. And she said that the um, the, the the aisles where you can get pet food and cleaning products, they're open. But loads of other aisles are taped off. And you've been stopped from going down them, which is one way of do it. Uh, queues out the door. We did have a few good complaints. People were going down there trying to buy paint. A couple of people with family members working there were in touch, very annoyed. We did try to contact the range without success. They're a, they're a British company. Uh, they've no PR or no contact in, in their site. So We've been sort of trying to contact anyone we can. Uh, no joy. But the guards did visit the store over the weekend, and they directed. This is interesting. They directed that all the non-essential aisles be closed off. So that's pretty much anything but pet food and cleaning products. So that's that's the latest on the range. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Katrina uh, went on Facebook the weekend. This is this is worrying. Good morning
5: good morning p j what what happened right so first of all, thanks for having me on the show and basically, what happened was um I found a uh, online groomer um on my kid's xbox
3: How did that happen
5: so and um, basically, I walked into his room. He was just about i asked him what did he want for supper. And he put the headset around his, his neck. And to my surprise, the, it was harrowing. Um, there was an in, individual, an English gentleman, um, man, uh, mm-hmm. overpowered all the kids' voices.
8: Christ.
5: Um So obviously I intervened um, and recorded his voice um, investigated it myself and got all the evidence I had for the guardian and this individual was after sending a link which, this is the scary part um, and dangerous part um, he was after sending a link to find my location to the case
3: uh, Was your son playing a, he was playing a game I take it
5: yeah what, what game was he, he playing
3: Minecraft. Minecraft yeah okay and, and obviously that's played online with loads of other people
5: it is but you see what happened here PJ was he had a friend called Kyle which he was playing with but this cunning individual was after telling the boys to say his name was Kyle so when I asked who he was speaking to um, he said oh I'm speaking to Kyle Right. right so this is the dangerous part hes he was he was quite a professional on what he was doing. and he sent
3: a link on he tried to get an address out of your son,
5: yeah, so once you click into that link, basically it'll come up with find your location Wow, that's the scary part.
3: Now, what did you do then?
5: So I recorded everything. Um, my quick thinking, I just recorded everything, screenshotted everything, um and the next morning then what I done was I rang the Gardee and they basically said, I'm not the first person, I'm not the last person for it to happen to right. but with especially with the COVID nineteen measures, kids are stuck indoors. Yes. And we do allow time for gaming. Yes you know, and I know that there's a big con- controversy over the online gaming. So I was terrified for it up but I had to because I need to raise awareness that it is happening. Yes. And apparently this individual has been in and out of their games for the last week. Wow. So this was just to gain trust in the kids.
3: Mm. And is there uh, any way to trace who he is, is or where he is or
5: so what's after happening now next is the Gardaí will get onto the IT guys um, that they have and we're just hoping that once I, I gave them all the passwords, everything to all the accounts, so they'll look into it and they'll do a trace then on the account. How, how
3: old is your son? He's 11. So does he have any concept of what was going on? Does he have any understanding of what was going on?
5: Well, he does. He he knows not to talk to strangers, um, especially online. But you see, what happened was his friend was after adding this individual into the group um, because this individual that they were speaking to was after sending a picture of a 10-year-old boy saying, oh, I'm okay, you can play with me, there's no problem. I see. You know?
3: And they didn't have the cup on at that young age to realise that this was a grown man's no. voice.
5: Unfortunately, they didn't. But when I heard his voice, I literally... I literally...
3: You must have frozen in your shoes.
5: I, I did. And because he tricked me to, um, he He was after tricking me by saying, Oh, tell your parents that my name is Kyle. Right. You know... Um, it was absolutely terrifying.
3: So he um, realised there was a Kyle in the Friends group.
5: He did. And, he and yeah.
3: I see. That was an, and that's insidious. He'd realised there was a Kyle in the Friends group and that if your son, for instance, told you, I'm only talking to Kyle, that a lot of parents might just, Ah, that's grand so and walk out of the room.
5: And that's what I did. You know, I, I genuinely thought oh that he he was Kyle and I took no more notice, you know, because I do go and check and I'm saying, Oh, who are you talking to? Because I normally take his devices off him and Kyle um came up on the on his devices all the time. So I was kind of saying, Oh, that's okay But in this is the the part I have a video. Obviously I can't release any evidence of that video because it's with the Gardie. Um, so in the video that I had taken this individual was very concerned about my son and where he was gone and why isn't he speaking anymore. Yes. And um, Because I think he knew that the game was up yes. at that point. Yes. Because I tried to, to engage with him over an Instagram account, not my own, but I kind of made up an account so that I could see what he would say to me. Yeah. And he knew that the game was up at that stage. Right. You well, know?
3: Here, here's hoping that, he can, that he, can, he can be traced.
5: I hope so. But then on his Instagram account, which is really creepy, there is a challenge on um, Instagram of putting up kids' photos when they were really young. Right. And when you click into it, you can see everybody, all the kids' pictures when they were young. Yeah so he had that connected to his Instagram as well and there's other inappropriate content as well within his in, his Instagram so what, so
3: what advice would you have, Katrina for other parents? I mean, like you said, look, they're at home they're bored, they can't go out except maybe around the block with the dog with you for an hour, they can't they're, 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 it's natural that they're going to spend time on their games more time than they normally would. And we're giving them a little bit of leeway as well to, 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 you know, to keep, keep the cabin fever at bay. What advice would you have for parents?
5: Well, parents, I'm just giving you advice because I didn't think that it would happen to me. I didn't think, I genuinely didn't think it would come to my doorstep because I have been so careful. But you need to be vigilant, check their devices take their devices off them when you're going to bed and that's the most important thing check everybody um, all their friends that they're talking to because the way I got tricked, you can get tricked
3: Is that a conversation you can have with them? Say listen look, we know you're playing your game, you know you're online with your mates but if anything happens that you're not sure about, come to me straight away
5: Absolutely We'll yes. take
3: it from there, says If you're not sure that that actually is your friend, Sean, come to me straight away.
5: Yeah, yeah. And speak to them and talk to them about the online dangers. You know, anybody can get into your account. Anybody can join a, a game. Yes. And that's from anywhere in the world.
3: That's right, because the guards can do what they can do, but this fella could be in, he could be in Outer Mongolia.
5: Exactly, you no know. No way of knowing. Nobody knows who's at the other end of the the headset. Yeah, Even cool. if it was just a headset, if it wasn't a video, just please be vigilant okay. and make sure that you check the devices because it's so important. Okay. Really, because it could really, be, it could be anyone.
3: It's 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 scary stuff, Katrina. Thank you very much uh, for explaining what for happened. Thank you, and good luck to you, and okay. stay safe. The whole family stays safe. So, look, the lads are on the video games. That's fine. They're on a bit more than normal. That's anything to cope with this, anything to deal with this. Be careful. Be wary. She thought he was playing with just one of his mates called Kyle. But this guy had gotten in to their group and had introduced himself and was pretending that he was Kyle and was talking them into pretending to their art, to telling. Their parents said it was Kyle. And then he starts sending out links so he can find their address. Creepy. 1850-715-996. All right, we've closed that poll and I'll give you the results of it after the break. And then news coming in from the UK. Debenhams has applied to go into administration. Wow. That's big news from the business business world. Not too sure what that means for us yet. They've got a branch. Obviously, they've got a branch in Man Point. They've got a branch in Merchant's Quay. They're all... Are they open or closed? I think they're closed at the moment. They're all closed at the moment. But they've got two branches in Cork. Debitums. And they've gone... They've applied to go into... Administration in the UK. 1850-715-996.
2: The opinion line on Quartz 96FM.
7: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drews Filling Station Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kill-dried wood, and gas. Solidfueldepot.ie
2: quartz ninety-six FM now brings you even more music choice. Streaming online.
7: Listen to the HitMix for fresh new music. Fresh
2: new music. And the all-new Quartz 96FM FitMix. FitMix.
7: It's the perfect soundtrack for your workout. Your
2: workout. Download our app. Listen on your smart speaker. Turn
7: up the volume.
2: Or go to 96FM.ie. This is Quartz Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Call
7: us now. 1850-715-996. On
2: Quartz 96FM.
3: Plus just to remind you, before I move on, talk about PPE protective equipment and all the kerfuffle that there was over the weekend when they started opening the boxes that had come from China to find that a lot of it was not up to our kind of spec I'll come into that in a minute but on, good, on this Good Friday, Corks 96M is asking you to do something really good We want you to support Cork's frontline legends during this COVID-19 pandemic. We've joined up with the Mercy Hospital and with CUH Charity. We want you on Friday to donate just €19 to the medical teams going above and beyond to save life. To save lives. So if you click on www.96vm.ie this good friday you can make a one-off donation of 19 euro. You can also use the 1850 509696 96 number. Well spotted, that's the radiothon number that we use every year. 1850 509696 96. that'll be active this friday as well to make your one-off donation of 19 euro. We want to support services for the medical staff. Things like a wellness centre, so staff have somewhere to relax. Mental health supports for all the staff and special thermometers called genius thermometers which will give staff a temperature reading in just a few seconds. So we're doing this Good Friday on Cork's 96FM. Donate 19 euro for our Frontline Legends. Uh, It's with Noel DC Skoda on the New Mallet Road Cork. Proud to get behind those steering us through the COVID-19 crisis. On noldc.com. Oh, please don't call to any of the hospitals or to our offices with any donations. It's just on Friday. It's just on Friday. More details throughout the week. That WhatsApp poll, mostly against closing or restricting the off-licences. On WhatsApp it was 2 to 1, no. By text it was pretty much all no. Twitter was about 78% no. So generally overall around 78% no to closing or restricting the off-licences. 715 You will have read and heard and seen and heard much discussion of the state of the uh, stuff that came in from China, the protective equipment, the masks and the gowns and the gloves and all those other things about 25% of it we think was not up to our spec some of it was unusable in this situation and of course there was a pile on against the HSE over the weekend for having ordered bum stuff from China and of course there was a piling on to the Chinese then for sending us bum stuff Dennis Coakley, you used to you used to supply PPE, did you? Good morning.
15: Good morning. Yeah, yeah. We, well, in our company, we would supply some PPE. We, we would it wouldn't be our main products, but we would have some items. And it is literally impossible to get worldwide. Just to, like the, the first thing I suppose is PPE is quite a broad field and there's quite there's there's quite a number of products that fit into it and even for specifications if you say we want to get a, a gown there's so many different descriptions of gowns that mm. that exist out there so it can be very very hard to get it but just I suppose what you'd say is the HSC have been on the ball from this from the word go the 31st of January was the first reported case in Italy and that very same day, I, along with other medical supply companies in Ireland, got an email from the HSE asking us to attend a meeting the following week. So we did have this meeting on the 5th of February, so that's nearly two months ago, and they effectively said to us then that they would purchase any amount of PPE that we could get and you're talking about all the companies in Ireland at that time. Now the difficulty of course is that the demand for PPE has increased probably by a factor of fifty in the last couple of months. Yeah. And this there is and that's globally. It's not just in Ireland. So when it it's this is throughout the world and factories don't just manufacture product on the hope that they'll sell it, the way that these factories manufacture product is that, for instance, in our company, we have 18 month rolling forecasts, and at about six months those forecasts become concrete orders. Right. So the products we are receiving in April are the products that we ordered last October. Now, the the coronavirus didn't even exist in the world last October. So that just puts into context how difficult it is. Now, though, like, I I appreciate, and it is very, very important for. For people in the frontline, doctors it's critical for them to have protection, and I can understand how frustrated yeah. they can get. But on the other hand, the public must understand that it, we are dealing in unprecedented times.
3: You, you can understand, that- Dennis, the the reaction of people when they open their newspaper or turn on the news, and and they hear. First of all, they hear the growing number of cases and and the increasing number of, number of deaths and people in serious condition in hospital. And then the next story in the news is that the plane load of this stuff came over and there's a percentage of it that we can't use. First question they ask is, right, who was responsible for that?
15: Yeah, the, the, there's, there's one. There's... One important distinction. I, I saw some of the things, uh, some of the, the articles during the that would, over the weekend. Now, when people say they're not up to our standard, it doesn't necessarily mean they're a low standard. But different parts of the world, products have to be certified to specific standards. So, if you take the face masks, I saw one bunch of face masks. They said were not usable because they they had a, they were classified as N fifty. N95. Now, that's true. N95 is an American standard, so to sell the product in America, it must be certified to N95. In Ireland and the rest of Europe, we have a CE mark, and that's where you have FFP2 and FFP3. So, normally to sell in Europe, it happens to have have the CE mark, and in other countries, in Asia, they actually have a standard called SN95. Now, the Three products could be all could be all of a good standard, but the yeah. difference is that the N95 has not been certified for European standards. Yeah. Now in America, they're waiving some of these with, so that they will accept a CE mark standard yeah. now, where they will accept an SN95 with with certain conditions. The,
3: the other thing, so, Dennis, was that, and I did see pictures over the weekend of a gown where the the forearm. Is exposed. Uh, surely that's not.
15: Yeah, that's a,
9: again that
15: the type of PP that's used all over the world can vary. Like what what we use might be different to what they use in other countries. And what you would have there is that this sleeve would be removable. The uh, the so you that that we don't use that here, but that that has that's probably what they use in other countries, but. I suppose what they're doing, they were working in very, very tight schedules. You know, they're trying to get product, okay? There there will be things that might be exactly right, but I, I would imagine I can't speak for the HSE. Yes. I'm not doing it. But I would imagine they probably took the line. Well, look, if we get... That this product in, and even if 20% of it isn't suitable, at least we've got 80% that is, and 80% is better than nothing. Well, is it so possible then nothing?
3: to get onto the supplier and say, you know, by the time we load up the next plane,
15: we need you to fix this? Can that be done? It can be. I'm sure they'll improve on things. Like, if you were working in an idea world, like, all of this PPE tends to be manufactured in China now, because China, that's what China specialised in. It was less expensive to make it there and so like our company used to make surgeons gowns in northern France up to about 10 years ago but we stopped because we just couldn't manufacture them at a com- at a cost that people were prepared to pay like the co- the price of a surgeon's gown now is about 25% of what it was 15 or 20 years ago and a lot has changed then so they normally when you're getting these products the purchase window is very long, you've mm-hmm. got you know, you would deal with com- the same companies. Like these factories would be manufacturing many cases for companies on a long-term basis. You know, you're dealing with your, your people on the ground. You're you're purchasing for six or seven months time, and. You have a lot of time to do these things, but unfortunately the way it is now, time is of the essence and and yes, there was probably mistakes made, but they'll probably they'll have a chance to iron them out in the future. Mm. But like it's it is like I know people in procurement in the HSE and they're working very, very hard. They're working long hours at the moment, they're doing their best in very, very difficult circumstances yeah. and nobody wants to let people down, least of all these people. And money is money isn't an option money isn 't a problem It's a problem there. we're spending two hundred and odd billion like, yeah is it They're
3: possible that we could we, could we read could we instead of having to go all the way to china like could we not repurpose some of our own clothing factories to make gowns i mean' uh, sorry no i, I, I this, this uh, coming from a totally ignorant uh, background regarding this surely it can't be that difficult to 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 make a surgeon's gown.
15: Well, the first thing I suppose people sometimes don't understand is that surgeons' gowns are made with a very particular type of material. It has to be either fluid resistant or fluid repellent, depending on the standard or what the gown is going to be used for. So, if you take a typical material, though, so most materials are what would be described as a woven material. And what a woven woven material? If you think of something like a net, they're a bit smaller, but. There's, it's like effectively a net of strands of material in one direction and strands in the other and bacteria and bugs can pass through the gaps because you're dealing with microscopic sizes here so your normal surgeon's gown your knob is it, actually a combination it's about three or four different layers it's a it with with of uh, spun bonded prop- polypropylene, polyethylene in the middle, and spun bonded propylene again, polypropylene on the other side. So these are specific materials that are resistant to fluid and bacteria passing through them. And these are done with, you know, it's a it's an automated process. You have to invest in very expensive machinery, and these have to be done in huge volumes, right? Because they're single-use devices now. And that's what you like many, many years ago people you People might remember in the hospitals they used to use linen, but linen was not a good barrier against infection and so that's why they switched to non woven materials. So there is one company that manufactures masks and respirators in Ireland in Kilmallock actually, but they're just they they're at full capacity and they're not even taking any new orders until October. But mm. it is it's not quite that easy. Now there are companies in Ireland that are doing things like I think O'Neill's the sportswear company. Yes. And a few other companies are making scrubs. Now, That that's a great help because they will need a lot more scrubs now. But over scrubs, you've got to put a gown or another protection. The scrubs are not PPE in themselves. You have to use PPE with them. Right. And other other companies are using 3D printing to manufacture visors, which, again, is a great help. Yeah. But. The, but the problem with 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 three um, D printing is it's actually quite slow, and you can't manufacture very big numbers. So like everything is a help, but like it's just that if you couldn't, um, nobody could scale up to manufacture anything even remotely near the numbers that are that are needed. Or the at, spec at, by at the state. sounds of what you're The spec as well, like because that's another thing. They have to be manufactured to very specific. Um, criteria. They have to be certified, and if a product has to be sterilized afterwards, it has to be manufactured in a, a, a controlled environment, effectively a clean room, because they have to not be able to know the quantities and the type of bacteria present so they can set sterilization parameters. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was only reading there over the weekend that a company in this field, an American company called Cardinal Healthcare, I think they actually would have places in Ireland, but they had to recall and withdraw 9 million gowns oh. there in January because they had unknown they oh, to them, they had been manufactured in an, un, in an un, unauthorized factory so the sterilization was not validated yeah. and that probably didn't help things either. So when when, when, when we have million. a bit more,
3: when we have someone like yourself with a bit more knowledge of the industry, an awful lot of the context falls into place. Like Pauline messaged us over the weekend and she said Um, would now be a good time to reopen, I don't know whether you're familiar with it, the Sunbeam factory, Dennis, and make our own PPE. It saddens me uh, that China is profiting big time with the cheap manufacturing and a percentage not fit for purpose. PPE that cost hundreds of millions, not to mention the virus emerged from China. They should be donating PPE
15: globally. Yeah. Again, that's a misunderstanding of what PPE is because Sunbeam used to manufacture textiles, and if you went back to what I said earlier, textiles don't provide a barrier against the uh, the, the virus. The, the virus will just slip through it. So if you think of people, there, there's a lot of talk at the moment about people making masks and homemade masks. Yes, I was going to get to that. Yeah. yeah. Now they they would they they like obviously. Everything is a help in the in the community, but they would not even be up remotely near the standard that a healthcare worker needs. Like a healthcare worker is going to be exposed to people with COVID nineteen quite close because they've got to get in close to to assess them and to perform procedures. And those uh, one of those cloth masks is fifty times less effective than the the respirator that those doctors should be using so that just puts things in context it's not it, it it might be a help in certain circumstances but it's not an answer and that and that's the important thing you're you you're you're dealing with very very specific products that have to have very very specific performance characteristics yeah. and they in, they, much as people, much as people would like, and well intentioned people would suggest, could we not get these up and running? You're talking about different things and different and different performance levels, okay. and and it's just if the all I'd say to people, if it was that simple, it would have been done by
3: but, now. But there's a saying that I have a particular. Hatred of Dennis when you're dealing with officialdom in ireland it's it's not quite as simple as that, unfortunately, on this occasion it's true it's not as yeah. simple
15: as that no and the and the other thing like hopefully in in, a, in the medium term, this problem will will um will dissipate, and we will get back to some degree of normality so the de- the demand that's there for these products at the moment is not going to be there. In a year's time, all going well. So that's the other problem people face. There's no point, point in they're not going to. People are not going to invest, mm. to, in to make to make things that are not going to be needed again. It, it, it doesn't. That's not going. That won't encourage them. Like I'm, I'm sure the factories are working 24/7 at the moment, trying to get out this stuff. And but from our own point of view. I think just people have got to understand that the people in Ireland have done everything they can, everything that's humanly possible to address this situation. They've been on the case long before anyone ever heard of COVID-19. As I said, the first email we got about a meeting with the 31st of January, which was the first the the day of the first reported case initially. And to be honest I'd be the first person to put up my hand when I went to that meeting on the 5th of February. I didn't appreciate the problem that we were facing at that time. I didn't appreciate it by a factor of Mm. one-tenth. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. And, And even I suppose what would happen is the, even people within the healthcare sector didn't appreciate how much how much uh, PPE yeah. was going to be required because, if, like before this, the respirators would not have been needed very very much at all. Like n- normally, people would have used people people would be familiar to the with the simple surgeon's mask, which yes. sometimes you might have been on a plane or in London and you see some Japanese people wearing a mask, but. That isn't even PPE. That doesn't even qualify. That's only designed for a theatre situation so that the patient who has an open surgical wound doesn't have the risk of that wound getting infected from bacteria from the doctors and the nurses there, but it doesn't protect them. So it's literally... We are in unprecedented times that people... It is, I do appreciate. I would not. I wouldn't like to, uh, to to kind of downplay it. I appreciate the people on the front line. It is a huge concern to them. But on the other hand, the public have to understand that this is this is unprecedented. We have never seen a demand like this. Yeah. And people in in our hse are doing fabulous work okay. like I, I was i was speaking to our my colleague in spain there last week and everyone knows spain has got it particularly bad he said it's a nightmare in spain because you have 17 different regional health boards all fighting with each other all competing for product Christ unlike here where we have one body who's coordinating everything and, and making sure that they can at least do things the best that can be done. Okay. So, so we are lucky in this emergency that we do have one body in yeah. the HSE that are coordinating everything through the country.
3: And I think you're to come back to the start to finish up with you. I think what you're saying, Dennis, is don't be overly troubled by the reports of stuff being unusable. No. Is that it?
15: No, I think in an ideal world they would have they would have liked everything to be a hundred percent. But, I think they probably just took the call. We need to get as much stuff in as we can quickly. They didn't have the time to go through the normal due diligence, and they probably would have said and it and it makes sense look if even if twenty percent of it isn't up to spec, at least eighty percent is and they will have the time to to, to correct those things. And I, I think the fact that they audited all these products so they just didn't take them in and send them out to hospitals shows that they were probably aware that there could be some issues there that they didn't have issues. to check right. into.
3: Yeah. Dennis, thank you for, for sharing your expertise with us, and it puts a whole new light on those stories we've been reading over the weekend. Thank you very much. Dennis Coakley, uh, who works worked in the PPE industry in this country, is still involved uh, to a certain extent, but uh, really knows his stuff. Really knows his onions. His onions. Let us not be overly critical. When they open the boxes and found stuff they can't use, they'll put that right. That will be sorted. And it's not that easy. You can't just reopen a short factory and start making. You can't. It's not. It's not right. Can't do it. You can make scrubs like they're doing in one of the sports companies. You can make scrubs, but there's a massive difference between scrubs and PPE eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six uh, where am I going? Yes on the grooming, just listening to that lady talking about her son and the guy grooming online. this is where the DIY stores being open might be a good thing. Families could do projects together. children could start planting flowers and seeds and vegetables, which would keep them off the PlayStations, the Xbox to would help parents and children to do things outdoors. Love the show, uh, says Lynn caller says i think increases in water charges should be deferred now no one can fix leaks and there'll be people who will avoid washing hands because of worry yes 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 see the point Aidan thanks to pjd and fergal for all the work we're doing wants to know what we think of people lighting candles in the window or putting flags out the window for solidarity on saturday evenings he has a tricolor out all the time to thank the staff doesn't matter what nationality flag just to give people a bit of hope and maybe a smile. Well, the Queen Bee has been putting a candle in the bedroom window every night since this started as a thank you to the frontline workers of all kinds. And I must actually go through the list of who's considered a frontline worker because it's a lot longer than you might think. Like people think, all right, doctors and nurses and surgeons and physio and all those people. We think, right, they and, and you know, they're on the front line they're absolutely on the front line but then there's paramedics and there's fire firefighters they're out helping guards are out helping soldiers are out helping they're all frontliners too and let us not forget family support workers and social workers they're also out on the front line they're still at work they're still going into situations day in day out so there's a very very long list of who counts as a frontline worker 1850 715
2: The Opinion Line on Quartz 96 FM.
7: With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie. The Takeover on Quartz 96 FM. Weeknights from seven on the big drive home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. Fire, fly, the fire, the
1: light. You got that yummy, 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 yummy.
2: The Takeover. You pick what we play.
7: See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories.
2: This is Quartz, Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
7: Text or WhatsApp now. 083 3
2: 96, 96, 96
3: On Quartz 96FM. Yeah, PJ don't forget the bin men imagine if our bins weren't collected they're also on the front line yeah I mean I am going to try and put together a more comprehensive list of people that we can name check over the next few days as people who are out there doing the front line work when the rest of us are staying at home or in our case coming in here for the couple of hours and then going home again for the rest of the day but the people who have to go out into a dangerous situation day in day out and then bring that back home to their families and they have no choice but to continue doing it we're going to compile that list over the, the coming days something else i'm going to talk to pat dawson of the irish travel agents association over the next couple of days because people are now getting very seriously worried about their summer holidays where they're booked, where they might be able to go, will they be able to go at all, what's happening with flights, what's happening with accommodation, what's happening with my money, what's happening with the travel agent. And we're going to hook up with Pat Dawson uh, over the next couple of days to put some of those questions to him. I suppose, the will we actually get to go on our holidays at all? Because people are very worried if you've booked Spain or France or Portugal, or the Canary Islands or any place that people regularly travel on holiday, will you actually be able to go? will you actually be able to get there I've got holidays booked myself in in July and if that plane's going on the runway I'm going on it, I don't care but I don't know where the plane go on the runway 1850 715 996, now something else you might consider doing if you're at home with the children and bored out of your mind, is you might try to learn about writing, Cork County Library is having writing workshops Denise Woods, good morning to you
4: Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good,
3: good. Lots of people, I suppose, it's part of the homeschooling thing, get children to write. But people are starting to keep diaries, their isolation diary, their COVID diary. So a bit of creative writing passes the time and exercises the mind.
4: Oh, absolutely. And in fact, I've said, I mean, I do a lot of teaching around the county. And I said to all my students before our classes broke up, you know, if you do nothing else, keep a diary for historical reasons for no no, you know if not for any other reason but also it's very therapeutic writing you know it's therapeutic for kids and it's therapeutic for adults and at a time like this it's a really good time to get involved although maybe not always concentrate so much on the covid thing you know writing can be joyful and even if you're just writing you know write letters write emails you know just put words down and we're very good at that in this country you know yeah
3: And you're going to start some online courses.
4: That's right. The Arts Office and Library Service with Cork County Council uh, are going to be running three writing courses. One with Declan Burke, uh, Criminal Intent. He's a crime writer and a very good one, and that sounds like fun. And then Matthew Kedden, who's the new writer-in-residence with the Library Service, is going to be running a poetry workshop. And I'm going to be doing the fiction. I'm going to cover fiction, short stories and flash and novels, of
3: course. You've written six books yourself, of course. We shouldn't forget that.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I have. I know what's interesting about this is people have said to me over the years, people often say you know, oh, I'd, I'd write a book myself if I only had the time. And now everybody thinks they have the time. And uh, I suppose at one level they do but that's a pressure, you know. Oh my god. You know, was, I've got I to wonder, write the book. Wonder, do I've got they to write really the book before the I go time. back to work. Hmm? Do
3: they really have the time? Because if you've got a couple of kids, you're trying to work from Absolutely. home. You've got yeah. a couple of kids around your ankles. They're looking to be entertained. So yeah. you might have a half an hour at night to write and you'll be knackered by then. So, but at least if you, want, if you have time to practice Practice the skill now. Is the time to practice it.
4: Exactly, and I mean, you just you just have to leave a little um, a little period of the day, maybe an hour, maybe two hours, just to sit down and be still, you know, and see what comes out. Leave aside the pressure of this is my only chance to write the novel, you know, and just see what comes out. Let it flow. Have fun, and get. Get into the habit of just putting words onto the screen or onto the page, you know. Um, mm. But a bit of quiet helps. It does help, you know. If you're distracted, it's not going to work so well, you know. Mm. If, if there's a little part in the day when the kids are doing something else, that's just forget about the housework. Mm. None of us would ever have written books if we'd done the housework instead. Yeah. You
2: know? Do you
3: draft it and save it? Or do you wait until it's perfect? Like I'm only getting in. Open up the word processor. Write a thousand words. It mightn't no, be perfect, no. but there's something there. Do you wait until it's perfect before you start your second thousand? Uh,
4: no, you don't. You just you go back to that later. You can go back to that later. For one thing, is it ever going to be perfect? You know, John Banville can't bear to see his books in in shops. He never goes in. Yes, he never. Exactly. Looks, he's never happy with them. John Lennon was never happy with Strawberry Fields. You know, like. What's perfect? So, you just have to get it as good as you possibly can. It's a very, very competitive market. You will have to rework and rework and rework. But if you start putting limitations on, I'll do this and then I'll do it again and again, you know, the, the next big idea might be in the second thousand words. You know, well, it's, so, it's funny that jobs. you should
3: say that now because my, my favorite writer is Harlan Coben, of whom you will have heard. Yeah. And he's also said that he's never happy with a book. No no. no. It's he always th- thinks he could be better. Yeah,
4: yeah. and I mean, I think this is the job of editors. They can, there comes a point where they pull it out of your hands and say, enough already, you know. <laughs> it's it's got to go now because it'll never see the light of day if it's left with the writers, you know. They'll okay. still be going, but that comma, you know. How
3: can people get on the courses then,
15: Denise?
4: Uh, they might to uh, Cork County Council um, arts office at corkcoco.ie uh, and there's an application form so if they ask, for that, I'm actually going through the applications now, uh, they're coming in. Fast and Furious, and fill out the application form and send us for a piece of writing.
3: Is there a cost involved?
4: No, there isn't. Excellent. No, it's a free service, uh, thanks to the the council.
3: Excellent. Stay safe and uh, look forward to people getting involved in that. That's that's uh, Denise Denise Woods from the Cork County Library eighteen fifty seven one five 996 I never mentioned You see this is the list I want I must write it down this is the list of prison of of people who would be front prison officers absolutely frontline absolutely frontline at the moment prison officers and we had someone called us last week saying i never mentioned them and i'm sorry about that but it uh, but yeah prison officers Yeah, I did. (laughs) They're saying that's a a fundamental Oscars speech mistake, leaving somebody out. That's why I'm going to write it down over the next couple of days and make sure that we have it to hand. But that's it. We're done for today. Wash your hands. Stay at home. Keep your distance. See you tomorrow just after nine.
0: Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines.